With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk
Son of a bitch. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. This will be one of the uh, most jam-packed shows in secular talk history because we haven't had a video drop on the channel in quite a long time. Um, Just got back not too long ago from Austin, Texas, did Joe Rogan show. Um, Obviously, check that out if you get the chance to. Had a great time. I feel like it was the least political of our shows so far. I mean, we definitely got into some political stuff for sure, but, you know, the first however long hour or so was um, not too political, but it was still fun either way. Had a great time. Was there with Corin and Crystal and Sagar and Marshall and a um, bunch of people. So um, it was great. It was Travel was a little bit of a pain in the ass, but hey, what do you expect? It is what it is. Thankfully, I got to avoid a plane. All of you know I'm terrified of planes. We uh, went down there, actually drove down there. Quite a long drive, longest drive of my life, but I would rather have a very long drive than uh, even a moderate length flight. So uh, all in all, it was pretty cool. I um, think it went well, as, as always, whenever you talk to Joe. He's very easy to talk to. Um, sparred a little bit on Medicare for All and some other things that uh, I'm sure everybody would enjoy that. But, yeah, had a good time. But um, I'll tell you, I, am, I was itching to get back in the studio. I could not wait to get back in the studio because there's so much stuff to talk about that I really want to talk about. There's a lot of good stories going on. Um, so I forget, I, I'm not even going to tease you today because I think I have like 16 or 17 stories, and that's ridiculous. That's, you know, breaking – Breaking records here. So, um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. And um, I want to do that with this big story on Biden and his new domestic terror crackdown. So, when January 6th happened, um, there were a number of voices on the left Uh, to their credit, including many of the people in the squad on this particular issue, who were saying, wait, 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 hold your horses. Yes, it was a riot. Yes, it was an attempted insurrection. Yes, whatever negative thing you want to say about this was probably true. However, be careful because we know how these things end. Namely, the federal government will use this event to further entrench their power and their authority and take away everybody's rights and move more and more towards an authoritarian system. And you don't have to look too far in the past to see this playbook unfold. Look at what happened in the wake of 9-11. We had something called the Patriot Act passed. Patriot Act sounds lovely, right? You're a patriot, I'm a patriot, we're patriots, Isn't isn't that great? No, the Patriot Act was like, what if we had the NSA illegally and unconstitutionally spy on all Americans? and we totally destroy your right to a protection from unreasonable search and seizure. That's what the Patriot Act was. And of course, it took the bravery of Edward Snowden to blow the whistle on this, and Glenn Greenwald reported on it, so on and so forth. But a lot of keen observers were watching this skeptically, the January 6th incident, saying, everybody be cool, be cool, be cool. If, if our hair's on fire over this, you know what's going to happen, is they're going to come and take away everybody's rights even more. And so now we know that's exactly what happened. So Biden released this new anti-domestic terrorism initiative. And, um, you know, the idea is, hey, 
white supremacist terrorism is a huge problem in the United States. Anti-government extremism is a huge problem in the United States. So we need to give more power and authority to the intelligence agencies to combat this stuff, whether it's the Department of Homeland Security, whether it's the NSA, the FBI, you name it. All these intelligence agencies, the idea is beef them up because we have this threat and we need to make sure we keep the threat in check. Now, you should already be worried because there's been anybody who follows this stuff closely knows that every couple of years a new story comes out where it's like, FBI foils terrorist plot that was going to attack fill in the blank. And then you read the specifics of it and you find in almost every one of these cases, it's entrapment. They take some like 19-year-old, mentally ill, super low IQ Muslim kid and they entrap him and basically force him to be on the brink of doing something terrible and then at the last minute they pounce and they say, see, we foiled an inevitable terrorist attack. No, you didn't. You entrapped somebody who was mentally ill. You basically forced them to do it. And then at the end, you turn around and portray yourselves as heroes. This is what they do. And nobody should be surprised by this because anybody who knows the history of the FBI and the CIA and all these different agencies knows they're not on your side. They're not looking out for you. You know, Uh, and if you think they are, for the love of God, read the history and then you'll come to understand that it's naive to think so. So, um, but it gets better. So you... You heard me say just now that the nominal argument is there's a lot of white supremacist and right-wing anti-government extremists in this country, and we have to crack down on them. Well, guess what? When you read the fine print, that's not where it ends. So let me show you this. This is actually very, very interesting. Um, So these are some of the definitions and the standards in this new anti-domestic terrorism crackdown. So we see here racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, DVE stands for um, domestic violent extremists. They say animal rights and environmental violent extremists. Hmm, weird. You're adding a crackdown on animal rights and environmental violent extremists? That seems like a reach. Underneath that, you see abortion-related violent extremists. Now, funny enough, they say pro-life extremists and pro-choice extremists. Yes, there's there's so many pro-choice extremists out there blowing up what? evangelical Christian churches for advocating pro-life causes. That's not a thing that doesn't happen. But let's continue. Anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists. Hmm, let's read this one. DBEs with ideological agendas derived from anti-government or anti-authority sentiment, including opposition to perceived economic, social, or racial hierarchies, or perceived government overreach, negligence, or illegitimacy. Militia violent extremists, DVEs who take overt steps to violently resist or facilitate the overthrow of the U.S. government in support of their beliefs that the U.S. government is purposely exceeding its constitutional authority and is trying to establish a totalitarian regime, oppose many federal and state laws and regulation, particularly those related to firearms ownership. Look at this next one. Anarchist violent extremists, DVEs who oppose all forms of capitalism, corporate globalization and governing institutions which are perceived as harmful to society. Then they go on, sovereign citizens, that's right-wing anti-government extremists, and then you have all other domestic terrorism threats where they include people who have a problem with, quote, a combination of personal grievances and beliefs with potential bias. So somehow personal grievance crimes now constitute terrorism, even though terrorism is defined as doing a violent action for a political or religious reason, they say, well, no, 
Personal grievance now counts as terrorism. Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing to do a personal grievance crime, but that's not terrorism. That's not the definition of terrorism. That's called a regular crime. They're stretching the definitions. And again, anarchist violent extremists, DVEs who oppose all forms of capitalism. Wait, so you have to be in favor of some form of capitalism in order to not be an extremist? You oppose all forms of corporate globalization. Wait, you have to be in favor of some degree of globalization, corporate globalization, in order to not be an extremist? And if you oppose all forms of our governing institutions. So you have to support our current governing institutions and think they are not harmful to society in order to, be, to not be an extremist. That's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But we warned you this was going to happen. So now they're cracking down on everybody and using January 6th as the reason, as the excuse. In the same way that after 9-11, we did the Patriot Act, and now they can spy on anybody. Illegally and unconstitutionally, you have no more constitutional rights. You have no more Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure. The exact same thing is happening here. Now, funny enough, there are certain parts of this um, domestic terror crackdown where they say, listen, 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 everybody be cool, be cool. All we're talking about is violent actions, violent crimes. We are not talking about ideology. Now, if that were true, that would be definitely positive and better than the alternative. However, um, so there's an article in PBS on this, and let me read you some from that. Quote, the new strategy includes enhancing the government's analysis of domestic terrorism and improving the information that is shared between local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies, administration officials, said the Justice Department had also implemented a new system to, quote, methodically track domestic terrorism cases nationwide within the FBI. So now local, state, and federal government authorities are all working together, sharing information together, and they will, quote, methodically track domestic terrorism cases nationwide within the FBI. Quote, the U.S. government will augment its efforts to address online terrorist recruitment. Wait, you said it was limited to violent actions. How do you know that it's violent actions if it's online terrorist recruitment? That means that somebody who you think maybe, maybe not, might do something in the future because they're saying some stuff online. That's not the same thing as violent actions. That's not violent actions at all. Quote, domestic violent extremists are U.S.-based actors who conduct or threaten activities that are dangerous to human life in violation of the criminal laws of the U.S. Let me repeat that. Domestic violent extremists are U.S.-based actors who conduct or threaten activities that are dangerous to human life in violation of the criminal laws of the U.S. So you don't have to just conduct crimes. You have to, quote, threaten activities that are dangerous to human life in violation of the criminal laws of the U.S. My interpretation of everything I just read you here, both from the actual crackdown itself and from the PBS article on it, is that it's definitely not limited to action. Now they think there are thought crimes. There are thought crimes. So if you're a QAnon person, if you're somebody who's on the far right, if you're an anti-government extremist on the right, if you're an anarchist and you're on the left, if you're extreme, extreme in either direction, They think you're a potential domestic terror threat, and they are going to spy on you, and they are going to take away your rights, and they are going to infiltrate movements, 
and they are going to try to bring them down from within. That's what this is. That's what this is. So Joe Biden, Joe Biden is spying anti-capitalist extremists. That's what he's doing. He's doing a crackdown on the so-called far left. Even if there was no violence, even if there was no terrorism, there is the potential for that stuff there, because perhaps you threaten it, you threaten something dangerous. So, hey, we got to keep an eye on you. We got to do it. We have no choice. You leave us no choice. Oh, you definitely have a choice. But anything that threatens the status quo, anything that threatens the establishment, anything that threatens the powers that be, or anything that is perceived as a threat to it, they're coming for you. And again, if you think I'm stretching here, if you think I'm reaching, for the love of God, read the history of it. Every single left-wing movement, successful and unsuccessful, was infiltrated by U.S. intelligence agencies, and they attempted to bring it down from within. They wrote a letter to Martin Luther King Jr. basically saying, hey, we know what you're up to. We know you're cheating on your wife, and you're a piece of shit. You should probably kill yourself. Lord knows how many people they actually did kill. Did they kill JFK? Did they kill RFK? Did they kill Martin Luther King? Did they have something to do with Malcolm X? Was it not just the Nation of Islam, or was it the Nation of Islam working with the intelligence agencies? You tell me. You tell me, but we know for sure that they infiltrated these movements and attempted to bring them down from within. They don't make a distinction between, we think you're fighting for good things, and we think you're fighting for bad things, so we're only going to go after the people who fight for bad things. They don't make a fucking distinction. They think if you're fighting for things, that's a problem. Whether it's civil rights, whether it's a new economic bill of rights, whether it's against corporate globalization, whether it's anti-capitalist, they're against all of it. They look at Antifa, they look at left-wing movements in the exact same way that they look at white supremacists or sovereign citizens or far-right anti-government extremists. You're all the same to them because you all threaten the establishment, albeit in very, very different ways. So, careful. People wanted to give the government more power in response to January 6th. The response should have always been, hey, dipshits, we already have all the laws we need on the books. Now you just find whoever committed crimes and prosecute them. That's what you do. That's what you do. But no, people were like, oh, we need new laws, anti-insurrection or anti-riot laws or anti-QAnon laws or police the Internet now and crack down on free speech and censor people and deplatform people. Be careful what you wish for. If you're on the left, all of this fuckery will always come back to destroy you because people on the left definitionally Question those in authority, question the status quo, question the establishment, and they do not want that. Well, here we are. It doesn't get much worse than this. Okay, next. Let me go to the Biden death penalty one.
All right, here we go. When Joe Biden was running for president, he said repeatedly that he's against the death penalty and that he's going to get rid of the death penalty at the federal level. I don't know how much influence uh, Joe Biden would have when it comes to the death penalty at the state level. I know there are many red states that are very pro-death penalty, and perhaps you know, his arsenal is limited in terms of fighting back against that. But definitely at the federal level, he can do something about it. There's no doubt about it. And understand that it's supposed to be his, his Catholic views, his religiosity, that have led him to a conclusion on the death penalty that differs from what it is now. Namely, that it's immoral, it's unethical, it's not right, and human life is precious. And so, therefore, um, we should be against it as a matter of principle. Even if somebody does commit a horrific crime and they're a terrible person and there's no signs of rehabilitation, then it says something about society that you respond in kind. Oh, you murder people, so now we're going to murder you to show that murder is wrong? I mean, you guys know my thing on violence. I believe the only time it's okay is for imminent self-defense. That's the only time I can think of a moral justification to use violence. But this truly isn't that. The death penalty truly isn't that because there is no current threat. The threat is neutralized. The threat is already locked up. So to do the death penalty really doesn't make much sense from a moral or an ethical perspective, in my estimation. Joe Biden seemingly agreed. Um, Well, now take a look at this. This is from Slate. They say Joe Biden's craven death penalty reversal in the Boston bomber case. So, he said repeatedly on the campaign trail he's going to get rid of the federal use of the death penalty. Not only did he not do that, he filed a brief with the Supreme Court trying to bring back the death penalty for the Boston bomber, uh, Jokard Zarnev, or however you pronounce his name. Now, I want to be clear about something. What I'm saying here is not a defense of Zarnev at all. Um, I understand. In fact, I have that innate, visceral reaction when you see heinous crimes, I definitely feel like, well, that person deserves death. Like, I have that thing that a lot of people have where they see a horrific crime and, you know, there's zero remorse and it's just as vicious as you can imagine. And I think, yeah, that person deserves death. Um, So this isn't a, a defense of him. But it is to say, Joe Biden fucking lied. He lied on the campaign trail. He said he's against the death penalty. He said he's going to which, by the way, is kind of funny. Why would you say you're against it when this is one of the rare issues where the left-wing position actually isn't the popular position? So when you're running for office, if you wanted to appeal to the crowd more and you were going to lie, you could have said, I'm for it. And then when you're elected, you could be against it. That would be a better flip-flop. But this is, he ran on the unpopular position, which was seemingly a bold stance to say, I'm against the death penalty, because that's not what the majority of Americans. And then he flipped to being for it which, again, is the more popular position. It makes no sense politically. It makes no sense in any way, shape, or form. But he fucking lied. He just flat out lied. Oh, I'm against it. Oh, I'm going to get rid of it. And then he's not even taking, like, a hands-off approach. This is like, I am actively going to try to bring back the death penalty for this guy. I feel like this is this is the perfect microcosm of Joe Biden, the politician. It really is. It's especially this, this most recent campaign where, to give you another example, he ran on the public option for health care. 
Now, I wish he was running on Medicare for all. I think it's inexcusable that he's not running on Medicare for all. But he ran on the public option. And as soon as he got elected, that totally dropped from his agenda. Totally dropped. So it was, let's do a public option to compete with the private sector. And then it became, well, let's just uh, give massive subsidies for COBRA, which is just a giveaway to the uh, for-profit health insurance companies. And let's expand Obamacare more. Well, guess what? You're still going to have tens of millions of people without health care as a result of that. But he ran on the public option. Then he backed away from it, and there was almost nobody called him out on it. It's just like the media was just like, okay, I guess that's what he's doing. Do you guys have no standards? Do you guys have no principles? Are you incapable of looking at what's happening and then responding to it fairly? And the answer is, Apparently, yes, that's exactly what it is, because nobody really called him out on it. We're one of very few people who called him out on it. And now, you know, credit to Slate for covering this one in particular. But, um, yes, this is definitely Joe Biden in a nutshell here. He's said one thing on the campaign trail that was nominally more left, and then now he's elected, and he's going hard right. In fact, they go on to say in this article, get this, his position now on this issue is the exact same as the Trump administration. Because the Trump administration apparently tried to do the same thing, reinstate the death penalty for this guy. No difference on this particular issue between Biden and Trump. I wonder what went on behind the scenes. I wonder what explanation he would give as to how this happened, why this happened. Is it, hey, I just don't want to waste political capital on this unpopular position? But he could have done nothing. Instead, he's actively going in the wrong direction. Was he convinced by a staff member that it's something he couldn't do? It's just amazing to me that when you get people who are on the right in office, they are fighters, and they crusade for their policies. Then you get people on the left, and they're compromisers, and they give the Republicans half of what they want, if not more. And so you don't actually get any real left representation. When was the last time you heard any politician really make a strong Affirmative case against the death penalty. I don't know if I've ever heard it. Have you? I don't know if I've ever heard it. You know, this is something we've talked about on this show, but the thing that really changed my mind was um, that study that came out which said about 4% of people on death row are completely innocent. They've committed no crime. 4%. 4%. That means four out of every 100 people who are killed by the state are totally innocent. And so they are murdered by the state with our tax money. See, what that tells me is even if you have that initial reaction of like, yeah, that person deserves death for that terrible crime or whatever, still doesn't make sense to be for the death penalty because what you're saying is murder's okay if it's 4% of the time. I can't live with that, especially because we're funding it. It's our money that's killing them. When was the last time you heard a politician just say that very basic thing I just said, where you don't even have to defend the criminals or the crimes in order to make that case? That case is a very big-picture, macro-level case as to what you're signing up for if you agree to the death penalty. I've never heard a politician make that argument. I don't think I ever have. How pathetic is that? Nobody's making left-wing arguments. And so here's Joe Biden saying one thing on the campaign trail, doing the complete opposite. And again, only Slate called him out. I haven't seen anybody else call him out. Just a complete and utter flip-flop, a complete reversal. No explanation, no nothing. I said this, I'm going to do this. And by the way, when they ever do discuss these sorts of things, they say, oh, it's a pivot. A pivot. A pivot. 
They make it sound like an exercise or a move in some sporting event. I pivoted. That's a way to clean up what it really is, which was a lie. And they do this all the time. In the primary, I said this, and in the general election, I said the opposite. I evolved. I pivoted. If the media did their job, they would say, so you lied. You said one thing, and they were saying the opposite. You're a liar. But they've just grandfathered in that this is what politicians do. Well, maybe this is one of the reasons why people despise politicians. Unbelievable, man. It's totally flipped. I'm against the death penalty, you know, for my religious beliefs and not okay, and the state shouldn't be involved in this sort of business. And then as soon as he gets in power, not only am I not against it, I'm actively going to try to bring it back for the Boston bomber. Again, this is to say nothing about the Boston bomber at all, but it is to say Joe Biden's a fucking liar, and he lies nonstop. And we all know that when it comes to Trump, they called out the lies 24-7, sometimes perfectly legitimately, sometimes they nitpicked and were silly. But you're supposed to call out the lies of a politician. With Biden, only Slate did it on this one. I haven't seen anybody else do it. So how pathetic is that? You have to come to this YouTube show to get this very clear flip-flop and reversal from Joe Biden. That says a lot, not about how good we are, but about how terrible mainstream media is. Okay. All right, what should I do now, y'all? What should I do now? So let me tell you the new thing that Democrats are working on behind the scenes. Jeff Stein tweeted the following. New Schumer-Sanders reconciliation package being prepped by Dems expected to include Medicare to 60 Expansion of Medicare to cover dental, vision, and hearing, sources say. Confirmed $6 to $10 trillion number reported by Marianne Levine and Burgessev. Story with Tony Rom. Okay, let me explain the backstory here and what's going on. Um, Joe Biden and some of the corporate Democrats are still trying to come up with a bipartisan infrastructure deal. They originally were working with Shelley Moore Capito. Those talks fell apart. Now they're not working with her. They're working with Mitt Romney and some others. So there are still talks going on. The, the price tag for the bipartisan bill is looking like between $500 billion and $900 billion. I mean, that's honestly nothing. In order just to upgrade the infrastructure, you need about $4.6 or $4.7 trillion. So it's really a joke, the drop in the bucket. There are other problems with it, too. Like, for example, one of the ways that they fund this new infrastructure deal is with a gas tax and a tax on electric vehicles. Now, you might hear that and say, oh, I guess that's good for climate change. The problem with that is it's what's called a regressive tax. Namely, they're going to tax working class people as opposed to taxing the rich who've gotten tax cut after tax cut after tax cut and are running out the back door with all the money in the country. So they do a regressive tax which, by the way, hilarious, the Republicans who are involved in this infrastructure deal are like, that's a tax I can support, a regressive tax on working people. What happened? I thought you guys were for tax cuts. They're not for tax cuts for you. They're not for tax cuts for regular Americans. They're only for tax cuts for the wealthy, and they're showing that here. And there are other problems with the bill, too, like apart from being really, really cheap, it's basically a Wall Street giveaway. 
They want to do public-private partnerships, which are just a ruse to help out private industry, to subsidize private industry. And I'm not okay with that, and you shouldn't be okay with that either. So the bill is really, it's a farce. I mean, we were originally talking about four or six trillion dollars, and now we're all the way down to 500 and something billion or 900 billion. I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So anyway, a lot of Democrats know this makes us look ridiculous. So what did they decide to do? Hey, what if alongside the bipartisan infrastructure deal, we do a partisan reconciliation deal. We start crafting a partisan reconciliation deal. Now, Pramila Jayapal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other House Democrats basically said, I'm not voting for the fucking watered-down bipartisan deal unless we also work at the same time to do a partisan reconciliation deal to actually get the stuff that the American people want. Now, at face value, you look at that and you go, oh, look, they're fighting. It looks like they're fighting for the American people. Finally, finally, finally. Now, maybe Democrats are trying to use this as, as you know, some leverage in the other negotiation. You're more likely to scare Republicans into doing a, the bipartisan infrastructure deal if you're threatening the partisan infrastructure deal. I don't know exactly what their logic is in doing this. But what I will say is, at the end of the day, I don't think it's getting anywhere, man. I don't think it's getting anywhere. And here's why. You can't say... I'll give you what you want on the partisan infra- uh, bipartisan infrastructure deal, and then we're going to do the partisan one. Because why wouldn't the bipartisan one, after that gets through, why wouldn't Manchin and Cinema and seven or eight other Democrats who are super corporate Democrats and conservative Democrats, why wouldn't they be like, that's it, I'm done? They could even tell you, oh, yeah, sure, we'll do the bipartisan one, and then I'll, I'm, I'm very interested in this partisan one. Maybe I'll be for it. And then why wouldn't they just pass the bipartisan one, the shitty one, and then turn around and be like, oh, I don't want to do this one anymore. So, so in other words, you can get their word beforehand, but that comes to naught. That doesn't mean anything. You're going to trust Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema or any of the other corporate Democrats, and I haven't even mentioned any of the corporate Democrats in the fucking House of Representatives. So it just seems like it's like they're trying to start to learn how to fight, but they're still so clunky and dumb with it. Like, no. In order to actually fight, you need to be willing to shoot the hostage. So in other words, you say, I'm just not voting for a bipartisan deal. Hey, like that apple, stop wasting your fucking time. I'm not going to do a bipartisan deal because any bipartisan deal with this gaggle of idiot corrupt Republicans is going to be terrible. It's going to have regressive taxes in it. It's going to strip out all the tax increases on the wealthy. It's going to be a private public debacle, scam, ruse, giveaway to private industry. Why would you even entertain that? Why would you even entertain that? Of course, look at it how Joe Manchin usually does it. Why are you not doing the equal opposite of what he does? And put pressure on Biden. Put pressure on the White House. Say, listen, if you want any deal at all, it's going to have to be a partisan deal. And you're going to have to do everything you have in your arsenal to get Manchin and Cinema and the seven or eight other Democrats to fall in line and support you. So, I mean, that's what you have to do. So... Um, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I think it's actually kind of silly. I think it shows how it's always a half-assed, weird attempt to fight for the left flank of the Democratic Party. And um, so, uh, listen, do I like that they're crafting this reconciliation package um, to try to push through with 51 votes in the Senate? I do like it, but... I don't want to lie to you guys like every media outlet is doing and say like, oh, yeah, now uh, Medicare at 60 is totally going to be in there. No way it's going to be in there. No way. You're, just, you're not going to hold Manchin. You're not going to hold Cinema. You're not going to hold the seven or eight other Democrats in the Senate to say nothing of what's going on in the House. You're not going to hold them. 
unless Biden really does a full reversal and learns how to fight and learns how to twist arms and learns how to act like Lyndon Johnson and does the character stick approach. And by the way, I'm not married to just being tough on him. I'll give him whatever the fuck he wants if he votes for the agenda. This is what has to be done. And so, but I don't want to lie to you guys and be like, oh yeah, Medicare at 60 is going to make it through. The other thing that's in this is um, there's some immigration stuff to give dreamers citizenship. Um, There's repealing some of the 2017 Republican tax cuts for the rich. All these things are great. All these things I support. But I do think that um, it's not going anywhere. And really, you know what I think is going on here? It's an attempt for Schumer and corporate Democrat leaders to bring this up, propose it. Then when Manchin and whatever other corporate Democrats say, well, I'm against it. There's no chance I'm going to be for that. Then... Schumer and Pelosi and others could be like, oh, left flank, we tried, we tried so hard. Look, we even crafted a reconciliation bill, and we even put Medicare at 60 in there, and we even put raising taxes on the rich, and we wanted to do all the things that you guys wanted to do. Look, we proposed a reconciliation bill to do it, and it just can't get through, it can't get through, so, we can, so, so shut up and vote for the bipartisan deal that sucks. That's what's going on. They're, they're covering their ass and doing the head fake. I think this is what's going on. If you were serious about fighting, you would just do, you forget the bipartisan deal. Any bipartisan deal would be horrendous with this group of corrupt Republicans. So forget the bipartisan deal. Do a partisan deal and do everything you can to get the holdout Democrats on board. That's what you would do if you were really serious about this. But they're still trying to do the bipartisan one, which that alone shows they're kind of unserious. And they care more about notching the bipartisan thing, uh, bipartisan victory, than they do about actually getting something the American people care about. And there's quotes that this is what they think truly would be rewarded by voters, that voters would rather have a shittier bipartisan deal than a partisan one that's better on the policy. This is what they actually think, or this is what they say behind closed doors. And again, that just shows you how stupid they are. I mean, that's just stupid. Nobody has ever said, no. No, I will not support raising taxes on billionaires because it wasn't passed in a bipartisan way. Polls show even Republican voters want to raise taxes on billionaires. So it is bipartisan in that sense. People would love it. doesn't matter who. Most Americans would love it. But they don't look at it like that. And so here we are. So anyway, uh, I guess it's good that they're pushing this, but I think it's really a ruse for Schumer and the corporate Democrats to pretend like they tried to then turn around and say, well, now you guys feel bad for us, right? So please vote for this bipartisan deal because it's the best we can do. How many times have we heard, ah, it's the best we can do, and the best they can do is terrible, terrible. So I I don't know how many times I can say this, but the left flank in the House and the left flank in the Senate need to learn that they're getting played and need to learn how to fight and need to learn how to apply pressure. And if at the end of the day, they do learn how to do it, but Biden still is the stubborn one who's in the way, at least then all of my commentary would be blaming them, would be blaming Biden. But my commentary is not that because I think it's so easy to play the nominal left-wing Congress people. And I think this is another example of them getting played. So anyway, I don't think there's any chance the bipartisan thing gets through and then the partisan thing gets through, but... This is the pipe dream that they're holding on to, and these are the details of it.
Okay, next. Now I'm going to tell you how the bipartisan deal is a ruse. I'll give you the specifics. So there's a lot being made about this bipartisan infrastructure deal that's still being worked on. I told you guys in every segment I've done on it, it's a farce. So just to upgrade our infrastructure, you need about 4.6 or 4.7 trillion dollars. That's just to upgrade. That's not to do the thing that I think we should do, which is make our infrastructure A++, make it the best in the world by far. We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about like fixing the basics, 4.6 or 4.7 trillion. This new infrastructure deal is like 500 to 900 billion in that range. I mean, it's honestly, it's comical. On its face, it's comical. So if I were Democrats, I would laugh the Republicans out of the room and do a partisan bill and do everything I can to hold Manchin and cinema. I mean, stuff is clear, right, if you actually believed in things. But they don't, and so here we are. Well, now I can give you some more specifics on this infrastructure deal. A disaster in the making. Critics warn bipartisan infrastructure plan would facilitate a Wall Street takeover. Here we go. So some of this article, I'll just give you the juicy parts. Quote, refusing to touch the 2017 GOP tax cuts for the wealthy and large corporations, a bipartisan group of 21 senators is proposing a series of alternative infrastructure funding mechanisms that critics say amount to a thinly veiled scheme to privatize the nation's roads, bridges, and water systems. Quote, communities across the country have been ripped off by public-private schemes that enrich corporations and Wall Street investors. That's from Mary Grant of Food and Water Watch. Now, by the way, they go on to explain, I believe it was in Australia, they did these public-private schemes, and then it was so bad that they had to reverse it at some point. This is what they point out in this article. Um, They continue and say, in a two-page memo outlining its yet-to-be-finalized infrastructure plan, the bipartisan group lists public-private partnerships, private activity bonds, and asset recycling as potential ways to finance the package, which calls for only $579 billion in new spending over five years. $579 billion. $579 579 billion. So it's not 500 to 900. It's on the lower end of that. It's 579. Uh, by the way, the thing that Australia did is apparently asset recycling. That's the name of the thing they did that they went back on. Quote: Our own country's experience shows that transferring control of public infrastructure to private interests is fraught with problems. Such example is the privatization of Chicago's parking meters. In 2009, Chicago signed a 75-year public-private partnership with a consortium of companies for the operation of the city's 36,000 parking meters. The contact required. Chicago, the contract, excuse me, required Chicago to raise parking meter fees by 200% to 800%, depending on the area of the city, from 2009 to 2013. They go on to say that privately owned utilities charge about 59% more than public ones. So this is what's in this bill an attempt to privatize large swaths of our infrastructure and give control over to Wall Street. Mind you, this is at the exact same time we're learning about BlackRock buying up all these houses across the country, Wall Street buying up all these houses across the country, and price gouging people and and putting the houses out of reach. People can't afford it. We also have, of course, we're on the brink of um, an eviction crisis because the moratoriums are 
are coming up because COVID's on the way out. It's on the way down as of right now. So when it comes to foreclosures, when it comes to evictions, they're going to skyrocket. And the housing market is completely out of whack. It's insanely expensive. I just saw a video yesterday of this house that's going for, I think it's $590,000. I don't remember where it is. But the whole thing's fucking destroyed. The person who lived in it beforehand vandalized the whole property, made it a total mess, smells like piss everywhere, was not taken care of in the slightest. And sight unseen, people are like, I'll pay 590 grand for it. What? We're, I'm telling you, we're right back in a 2008 situation. Subprime mortgage crisis and Great Recession hit us hard. It, it could be even worse this time around because all the signs are there. The pandemic greatly distorted the economy. We effectively had a depression. A couple stimulus checks helped, but those are sort of running out. Richard Wolff makes a great argument that we do have inflation in the economy, but the inflation is in the stock market. Everything's out of whack. And what we're talking about here is privatizing large swaths of our infrastructure. And that's a terrible idea. To give control to Wall Street is a terrible idea. Again, privately owned utilities charge about 59% more than public ones. And again, in this same bill, you know how they pay for a lot of it? A gas tax and a tax on electric vehicles. Those are regressive taxes. Those are taxes of the working class. As a lefty, I've never seen a tax increase on the working class that I liked. I want a more progressive tax system, meaning I want the wealthy to pay more in taxes. I don't want people who can't afford the taxes to pay more in taxes. So this is where we are. It's a ruse. It's a Wall Street giveaway. It's a ruse. I don't know why anybody who's a Democrat is entertaining this bill. But the fact of the matter is, that is the reason they're entertaining this bill. For sure. For sure. Because... They're also bought by Wall Street. They're also bought by special interests and donors and lobbyists. And so here we are. They can agree on regressive taxes, and they can agree on privatizing large swaths of our infrastructure. The bill is a joke. I'd laugh it out of the room. What the Democrats need to do, and if they don't do this, they're not serious. What they need to do, shut down the bipartisan talks, do partisan talks, do it through reconciliation, and do anything and everything you can to hold mansion and cinema and get a good piece of legislation through. That's what you have to do. Use a carrot or stick approach, make them fall in line. The fact that the Democrats are not doing that shows they don't really believe in the same things that they're supposed to believe in, that you and I believe in. So here we are. We're seriously entertaining this. A bipartisan group, including a lot of Democrats, are in favor of And let me repeat it. I'll quote it one more time. Quote, a disaster in the making, a bipartisan infrastructure plan that would facilitate a Wall Street takeover. Literally the last thing we need. Anything they touch turns to shit. But when you're bought and owned, when you're corrupt, you don't really care about the consequences. Now do you? All right, next. Next, next, next. Ben Shapiro uh, has made a habit of embarrassing himself on Twitter. It's one of my favorite things. So there was a tweet by Sam Raskin, is the guy's name, and he's talking about the New York City mayor's race. And so all the candidates were posed a question, what would you ban? 
Wiley said sugary drinks. Donovan said food dessert, deserts, excuse me. Neighborhoods with no parks. Morales said banned bodegas without fresh fruits. Andrew Yang said ATVs. Adam says schools not having farms, uh, gardens on top of rooftops. Garcia said corn syrup. Stringer said school lunch junk food. McGuire said um, health care deserts. So those are the answers of the candidates. Now, I actually don't think most of those answers are good. Definitely could have, I think they definitely could have came up with better answers. But to be fair, if they're on the spot, it is a little tough because that's a weird question. Well, Ben Shapiro, the towering intellectual of the right, responded and said, notably, nobody said crime. The question is, what would you ban? And the response was, nobody said crime. How did you type that out and hit send? And at no point did you stop and go, huh, this is really fucking stupid. I shouldn't say this. We all know what it stems from, guys. Here's what it stems from. He's a partisan hack. And in his worldview, Republicans good, Democrats bad. And so this is the Democratic race. And so he's like, like stupid Democrats. Did you guys know Democrats are pro-crime? That's what they are. They're in favor of crime. They're against the law and order. Which, by the way, is hilariously ironic because Ben Shapiro is one of the biggest neocons out there. And the neocons, the defining characteristic of that ideology is they do not believe in law and order internationally. They think the U.S. can be the biggest goon, thug, criminal, gangster on the world stage, and it's okay, and it should be like that. They don't believe in the Geneva Conventions and the Nuremberg Tribunal and the International Criminal Court. They don't believe in any of that stuff. They don't think we have to follow any international laws. They're deeply against law and order. But here he is. The Democrats are pro-crime. They're against law and order. Nobody said ban crime. I guess they're in favor of legalizing crime. Crime is already banned. Dippy? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Just because homeboy talks fast doesn't mean he's intelligent. In the same way that when it came to Bill O'Reilly, just because he yelled at his guest doesn't mean he's correct. And it's amazing to me that this stuff works on anybody, man. It really is. For anybody who's a hardcore Ben Shapiro fan out there, I beg of you, it's not too late to turn your brain on. You want to outsource your thoughts and your political ideology to this guy? And by the way, this isn't a one-off. This has happened a number of times where he says things that make people go, how did you just fucking say that and not realize what you were saying is stupid? So, for example, remember when um, he was given a speech? This was a long time ago, to be fair, but he was given a speech on something, and he brought up climate change. And he said, well, well, when sea levels rise, people can just sell their waterfront homes. So when sea levels rise, we don't need a, a broader solution at the federal government level to address climate change, because when sea levels rise, people just sell their homes. As another lefty commentator said in a hilarious way, um, 
Sell it to who, Ben? Aquaman? The guy's unbelievable. He also famously said the only reason you should engage with the left is to, quote, humiliate them as badly as possible. This is a guy who claims to believe in the marketplace of ideas and open discourse and dialogue. He pretends to be a beacon of reason and rationality and logic. And he said the only reason you should engage with the left is to humiliate them as badly as possible. That's the opposite of what he pretends to be about. That sheer partisan hackery and playing for a team and being a tribal goon. That's all that is. One of my favorites of his is he compared uh, free health care to free furniture. Bernie Sanders had a tweet, something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, people in this country, they have a problem, they go to the doctor, they, they get help or they get surgery or whatever it is, and they can't afford it. How crazy is that? And his response was, well, we, I go to buy a, a piece of furniture and I can't afford it. How, how crazy is that? Comparing health care to furniture. He also compared repeatedly doctors under single-payer systems to slaves, as if like every developed country in the world, Australia, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Finland, Canada, the UK, you name it, all of them, to one extent or another, have doctors who are slaves. So in other words, according to Ben Shapiro, it's not just a funding issue. Hey, how are we going to fund our healthcare system? Are we going to do it out of pocket? Are we going to fund it in a private way? Are we going to have for-profit corporations being involved in the insurance system? Or is it going to be a single payer, so namely the government is the single insurer? Are they going to be paid via tax dollars, or are they going to be paid out of pocket from individuals? He looks at that and he says, one of those systems is slavery and the other one is freedom or something. Imagine looking at our healthcare system and thinking it's freedom. Imagine that. Imagine that. Medical bills are one of the top causes of bankruptcy. Up to 60,000 people die every year because they don't have basic healthcare. Tens of millions of people are uninsured. There's price gouging on top of price gouging on top of price gouging. The for-profit health insurance companies are a mafia gangster middleman they just get in between you and your doctor and tell you what you can and can't do and tell you that doctor's out of network. You can't even go to them. He looks at that and says, freedom. It's freedom. Doctors under single-payer systems are slaves. This is who Ben Shapiro is. In my expert opinion, I think we should ban crime. That's what I think. Oh, do you? Do you, you fucking genius. You're so brilliant. You're so smart. This is the towering intellectual of the right. The guy whose who's famous phrase is, facts don't care about your feelings. As if he puts facts first. As if he doesn't thoroughly embarrass himself on a regular basis. I mean, come on, dude. Come on. <sighs> nice to know, none of the New York City mayor candidates on the Democratic side, none of them are um, in favor of crime being banned. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. I'm sure that's a totally accurate representation of their beliefs. That was sure was a sick burn you got. See, this is what happens when really your whole ideology is trigger the libs. When that's your whole ideology, you're vapid, you're empty, you're useless. And so you end up doing stuff like this. And if there's some people out there who eat it up, again, I plead with you. At some point, you'll grow out of it, you know. I think everybody goes through weird phases politically in their life where you're into some one weird thing or another weird thing, or you dabble in this or that. And I'm not above it. I'm just like everybody else. There are times I've dabbled in embarrassing things, whether it's a dash of, like, Ayn Rand libertarianism, or whether it's, oh, this 
9-11 documentary about 9-11 truth sure seems kind of convincing. We've all had moments. We've all had moments. But you'll get out of it. You'll grow. You'll get out of it. And um, I really believe that most people who are Shapiro stands eventually will be like, yeah, whatever thing it might be, thing X, Y, or Z, that seems kind of silly of Ben to say. Perhaps he's not this towering intellectual giant. And there's a history of this stuff on the right, whether it's like William F. Buckley, for example. There's a number of like so-called intellectuals on the right who just ultimately, they're not even close to that. They're not even close. And that's not to say the left is perfect. That's not to say that, you know, there are no examples of embarrassing folks on that side. But it is to say this shouldn't be convincing to you because it is kind of sad if imagine being one of the people who hit like like or retweet unironically on this Ben Shapiro tweet. Imagine that. Imagine reading it and think, ha, Ben Donham, yes! Democrats love crime. Democrats love crime. It's really easy to make yourself feel like you're a genius and you're adding substance to the conversation when all you do 24-7 is straw man the opposition. You make this like hilarious cartoon villain caricature out of the other side, and then you beat that straw man all day, and you think, I'm great at politics. Or you're just silly. Or you're just silly. No more straw man, please. You know, the opposite of the straw man is the steel man. Try steel manning your opponent's arguments and then trying to break them down. And I'll tell you what, that's a lot more fun and a lot more engaging. And people will watch that, and they'll, they'll be interested. Put the best foot forward of your opposition and try to break it down, because then you're getting somewhere. And by the way, then you grow as a person because every now and then you might be like, hey, they have a point on this thing. You know what I mean? So um, I just want people to engage more honestly. This clearly is like he's just trying to score some cheap political points. Nobody said ban crime. Crime is already illegal. And is it really your contention that they're like pro-crime or somewhat pro-crime? I'm sure he's going to give us many more moments like this as well. Okay. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, um, Republicans push censure of the squad. What? So we'll talk about that. I might have, might throw some new segments in here for you that you'll like. Stay right there. We will be right back.
I'm back in this bitch. Sorry for the extended break, but we have so many more stories to get to. I needed to refuel. I had some leftover quesadillas, and good googly moogly, they were delicious. Okay, so um, let me... (laughs) I'm going to do this Trump story. I have a lot of Trump and I have a lot of Biden in the story today. Let me get to the Trump one. I also want to squeeze in the American Airlines story. I got so many, so many things I don't know what to do with myself. Here we go. So there's a new book that just came out, and um, it details uh, interesting, I guess you could say, moment with former President Trump uh, when he was in the White House. So the Washington Post is reporting on this. The name of the book that this came from is Nightmare Scenario, Inside the Trump Administration's Response to the Pandemic that Changed History. And um, the Post's Yasmin Abu Talib and Damian Paletta said the following, quote, In the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, as White House officials debated whether to bring infected Americans home for care, President Donald Trump suggested his own plan for where to send them, eager to suppress the numbers on U.S. soil. With Trump asking aides, quote, don't we have an island that we own? What about Guantanamo? We import goods. We are not going to import a virus. Apparently, the president's aides were stunned by the suggestion, and then he quickly dropped it. So Donald Trump asked his administration if we could ship COVID patients to Guantanamo Bay. That's incredible. That's incredible. Every now and then you get a banger story about this guy's intellect, man. One of my favorites was um, when he said that he thinks human energy works like a battery. So... He had a friend who ran marathons, and he told the marathon runner all the time, you're fucking crazy for doing this. And the guy's like, why? I don't understand what you're saying. He's like, you're going to die young because you're using up all your energy in these marathons. It's terrible for your health. Meanwhile, Trump's, you know, shoving Big Macs down his throat, playing golf, but other than that, being relatively sedentary. And he's like, oh, I'm saving all my energy. I'm good. I'll live to like 120. Dog, that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. The, bo- the body's not like a battery. The more you work out, the better it is for you. So in other words, the more you do stuff, the more you can do stuff, you extend your life. If you exercise, if you work out, if you're physically active, he thought it's the opposite, that we're like a battery. We have a limited amount of energy, and like, so don't try to use not, none of it. Like as little, you should move as little as possible, basically. This is the sort of stuff he believes. And so I'm actually not really surprised by his idea to send people with COVID to Guantanamo Bay because the other thing is, he's hinted at this before, he views sickness as like, if you get sick, you're a weak person. You know what I mean? In the same way that a a common Republican belief is like, if you're poor, it is 100% your fault. It's all on the individual. You're not a good enough person. You didn't work hard enough. So in other words, there's no such thing as like systemic factors. There's no such thing as, like, a virus or a disease that's completely beyond the control of the individual. You can, like, if you have sufficient character and if you're a strong enough person, 
you could just overcome the disease. This is one of the things that he definitely believes. And so for him to be like, well, they already got the virus, so yeah, why don't you just hold him in Gitmo? Man, the downfall of the empire is quite a thing to see. It's quite a thing to see. Everything gets sillier and sillier by the day. We should have never even opened Guantanamo in the first place. It's, it's illegal. It's unconstitutional. You guys know the story about how the people got there because I've told you it. I'm one of few outlets that's ever talked about it. The way that we packed Guantanamo Bay is by cutting a deal with warlords from Afghanistan and Pakistan and telling them, hey, guys, we were just attacked on 9-11. Send us al-Qaeda operatives. And you know what those people did? Turns out warlords aren't very trustworthy. They went out and rounded up all of their political enemies and shipped them to the United States, shipped them to Guantanamo Bay. And we kept them there, tortured many of them, just like we tortured people at Abu Ghraib. Come to find out, the overwhelming majority of them were totally innocent. Not, and that's not to say if they were guilty that you can torture them. You can't torture them. Torture is illegal under U.S. law, under international law. When Japan tortured our soldiers in World War II, we took those same people and gave them the death penalty. Because we said, torture is against the law, you can't do it. Then we copied the same tactics of a communist Chinese manual on how to torture. And then we had the nerve to say, it's not torture, it's enhanced interrogation when we do it. So this is the story of Guantanamo Bay. Should have never existed, should have never been opened, held innocent people there, tortured people there. And now he wanted to throw some Gitmo patients there. Or excuse me, throw some COVID patients there at Gitmo. What's your, long, what's your long-term goal, bro? Like, what, what would the goal have been? How long are you going to keep them there? What's the process that we're talking about here? Why would you send them to a prison? It wouldn't, like, a, a more reasonable, reasonable thing be, like, I don't know, a resort or some shit? Jesus. This is one of those stories where you're reminded, people who are running society, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And you saw this even with the official response from, like, the CDC and the FDA and the you know, the doctors and the scientists, they didn't fucking know. And unfortunately, it was very rare that people would just be like, I don't know the answer to that. They'd still try to tell you some shit even though they don't know. And that's how we got into a lot of these problems to begin with, with the misinformation. Now people definitely don't trust institutions. But you know what? Why should they trust institutions? The institutions undermine themselves. So anyway, here we are, President Numbnuts. Send COVID patients to Gitmo. Great idea, bro. All right, next. I'm going to do... I'm going to do this one. Another... Another one story I'm just throwing in the show now because I should. Because it, it's on my mind. This should infuriate you because it shows you just how broken, backwards, corrupt, and stupid the system is. So ABC News said the following. Flight cancellations. American Airlines was forced to cancel hundreds of flights this weekend due to significant staff shortages and maintenance issues. The airline says it will continue to cancel 50 to 80 flights a day well into July. So that's what's currently going on with American Airlines. Now, you might hear that and say, okay, that sucks, that's bad, but I don't understand. Why, are, why is Kyle talking about this? Doesn't he usually do more political commentary, economic commentary? 
seems like a strange story to bring up, seems very niche. Well, the response to that is, no, it's not, because just recently, when COVID first hit, American Airlines got nearly $7 billion in bailout money. $7 billion. And you're canceling flights now? Well, then why do we give you that money? Why do we give you the bailout money if you weren't going to be operational or you weren't going to be up to the task when things rebound? But it gets worse. So they got $7 billion in bailout money. They paid their CEO about $10 million. I thought that it's supposed to be tied to your performance. I thought that that's the way a meritocracy and capitalism is supposed to work. Hey, the better you do, the more you're going to get compensated. Did he do better? The airlines almost all went belly up. So why'd you pay him $10 million? Why'd you pay? So he got $10 million, the CEO. Guess what? The CEO got $10 million. Then they laid off, at the same time, 30,000 people. So look at all those facts. $7 billion bailout for American Airlines. The CEO was paid $10 million at the same time. They laid off 30,000 workers. And now they're forced to cancel hundreds of flights this weekend due to significant staff shortages and maintenance issues. They're going to cancel 50 to 80 flights a day well into July. Yeah. Understand something, guys. It's time for a brand new law to put on the books. Any company that takes bailout money and lays people off and pays exorbitant CEO rates should be instantly nationalized. Instantly. Because it's a scam. Like, all the facts I just described you are a scam. And it should be treated as such. That should be treated as a scam. It should be treated as fraudulent. It should be criminal. It, you know, listen, it's time when CEOs commit crimes, when owners of giant corporations commit crimes, it's time to start locking some people up. Why is it law and order only applies to, like, petty crimes for, like, a convenience store? Never applies to Wall Street or the military industrial complex or to people with real power in the country, to oligarchs. By the way, where did the $7 billion go? You got bailed out. The whole idea of the bailout is we want to make sure everything keeps running smoothly in society so the taxpayers are going to rush in and bail you out so we can make sure everything's okay and when people need to fly, they have the ability to fly. We're not going to let all the airlines go belly up. So you got bailed out. And then that thing that wasn't supposed to happen is happening. So you guys probably return that $7 billion then now, shouldn't you? You were paid the money to make sure everything keeps working, and it's not working. So give the money back. Where'd that money go? Where'd the $7 billion go? This is unbelievable, man. And again, this is stuff that will not be talked about in the way it should be talked about. You turn on the nightly news, and they go through a list of, like, petty crimes, whether it's assaults, like I said, stealing from a convenience store or something, and they try to scare you. These are the people in society you need to be afraid of. The poor is doing terrible things. Ah! What they don't tell you is the criminals wearing suits and ties. They don't tell you about that too much. And they certainly don't dive into what the answers are and what the solutions would be. So just so you understand, guys, we have the worst of all worlds when it comes to our system. Because 
under, under a, a, a pure laissez-faire capitalist system, which, by the way, I don't support that, but under even that system, you know what a guy like Ron Paul would say looking at this? You shouldn't have bailed him out. Why would you even fucking bail him out? If, if they're not making it, tough cookies. They're going to go out of business. Some other airline will pop up, and maybe they'll fill the demand when the time is necessary, but they should go out of business. That's what an actual libertarian would say. So this isn't even, this isn't even just capitalism. You know what it is? This is corporatism. Because it is the government rushing in and taking tax money and bailing out the corporations. This is like a corporatocracy. So it's the worst of all worlds. It's, it's too big to fail. It's privatize the profits and socialize the losses. This is exactly what we saw with Wall Street with the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession in 2008. This is exactly what we saw. The same thing. Same thing. These companies went belly up. The, the CEOs made horrendous decisions that bankrupted themselves. Then federal government stepped in, bailed out a lot of these companies. Then those companies turned around and paid bonuses to the same people that just made all the terrible decisions and bankrupted their companies. The system is a joke. The system is completely rigged. And this is what you get when you have money in politics and when you have campaign contributions, which are just legal bribes, and you have all these big corporations and all these billionaires giving money to politicians, and politicians look out for them because they get paid by them. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. This is the system. Legal bribery. And so that's why, would you look at that? Anytime there's a bailout, it's always top down in this country. Never bottom up. They didn't step in in 08 and say, Jesus Christ, we have to bail out the people, the home- homeowners, because they're going to be kicked out of their houses. The houses are going to be foreclosed on. We've got to stop this. No, they gave the money to the corporations that gave out the predatory loans. And then you still got foreclosed on. What? It's rigged. The whole system is rigged. This is such a great example of it. Tell me why we shouldn't nationalize American Airlines. Give me a good reason why we shouldn't nationalize it. Why shouldn't we nationalize it? If you're going to bail them out $7 billion, the CEO gets $10 million, and you fire 30,000 workers? Why the fuck shouldn't we bail that? Everything went wrong. Everything that, sh- that could have went wrong did go wrong. It's a scam. It's fraudulent. This is what's happening here. And, of course, there's going to be no consequences. That's the reality. There will be no consequences for this. Talk about a house of cards economy. And we're, we haven't even gotten into the eviction moratorium ending and rent surging and Wall Street buying up all the houses and making them out of reach. That's the whole BlackRock story. We, I haven't even discussed that. But this one example right here really is just the perfect encapsulation, the microcosm of just how fake the economy is and how fraudulent and scammy everything is. It's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows this is a rotten, disgusting, corrupt system that doesn't represent them. Everybody sees it. How can you not see it? When you hear all the facts I just said, how do you not, how do you not see it? Playing with fire, man. Playing with fire. Lock these fuckers up. No more bailouts, or if there are going to be bailouts, they're for shit sure better be strings attached and rigid ones at that. Everything should be clearly defined. But understand, this was the point. This was the point of like the CARES Act. This was the point. Oh my God, we have a pandemic and an economic downturn. Let's use this as an excuse to just make it rain on all the corporations and make it rain on the billionaires and give them more money. 
you go look. You go look at the numbers. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but how much richer billionaires got, how much more rich they got during this pandemic, how much more money Jeff Bezos has. You go look. Meanwhile, everybody else is struggling. This is infuriating. This is infuriating. Okay, next. So recently we discussed um, Ilhan Omar saying that, hey, when it comes to crimes against humanity, when it comes to uh, unthinkable atrocities, the U.S. has done them, Israel has done them, Taliban has done them, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, the list goes on and on. Um, I file that under the duh category. It is beyond obvious, and anybody who's protesting that is honestly silly. They're just silly. Well, we have a new update in that story. The New York Post says, House GOP members to push for censure of the squad over Israel comments. They want to censure the squad over accurate comments on Israel on the United States, on the Taliban, on Al-Qaeda. So they want formal disciplinary action. They say the resolution, which would formally condemn Omar and Tlaib, plus two more squad members, Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Presley, on the House floor, argues the progressive lawmakers' rhetoric, quote, inaccurately depict the democracy of Israel as an oppressive, violent, abusive nation and that false claims further perpetuated over social media have resulted in increased violence and anti-Semitic hate crimes throughout the United States. So they're saying, hey, your criticism of the government of Israel is leading to increased anti-Semitic attacks. Number one, that would have to be proven. Number two, that's obviously untrue and insane. The criticisms are like, hey, Maybe Netanyahu shouldn't have bombed children and babies and committed war crimes and bombed civilian infrastructure and bombed media buildings. Like, what was it, the AP or Al Jazeera building or something in Gaza? They bombed roads on the way to the hospital and the Doctors Without Borders clinic. You're not allowed to say that or the right will say it's anti-Semitic? The answer is yes. That's exactly what would happen. And I love the – they say it's an inaccurate depiction – to say the democracy of Israel, by the way, so plays so loose with that term, so loose, so loose. What about the theocratic elements of Israel? Just going to ignore those? Is that what you're going to do? You're just going to ignore them? You're just going to ignore the second-class citizenship status of Palestinians? You're just going to ignore that? They say it's false to say they're oppressive. There's over 50 laws on the books officially codifying second-class citizenship for Arab, Israelis, or Palestinians. Over 50. The number one human rights group in Israel says Israel is effectively an apartheid state. And Republicans are like, Israel's not oppressive. It's not violent. Really? Then what were those bombs? Were those bombs fake? Were we imagining it? Are they Nerf bombs? What are you talking about? Did did I miss uh, the 2014 Operation Protective Edge, which killed what was it, 80% civilians? Did I misread that? No, I didn't misread that. In fact, 
that's historical record. But no, that's not violent. That's not abusive. And they, they take particular um, offense to Israel being called an apartheid state. They take offense to it because it's true, and they have no ac- accurate response. Um, so by the way, this is what fake outrage looks like. This is what political correctness looks like. This is what canceling somebody looks like. There's no actual counter-argument. They're just like, the you said that they're oppressive. You said they're oppressive and they're violent. That's what you said. I can't believe it. I don't care if you can't believe it. It's accurate. Do you want to actually make a counterpoint, or are you just going to get all in your feels and be triggered like a snowflake? You said mean things about the people I like and the country I like. Poop. Poop face. I don't like you, poopy head. That's not a point. That's not a point. What are you doing? Now, if you say to me, well, Kyle, come on, this isn't her getting canceled. Oh, it's not? Did you know that they're also calling for Ilhan to get kicked off of her position on the House Foreign Affairs Committee? Including somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, by the way, positions herself as, me, I'm against cancel culture, and you know what I do? If somebody says something that's offensive, I say, get over it, snowflake. Well, here you go. You're offended by it, and immediately you're calling for disciplinary action and for her to get kicked off of her seat in the House Foreign Affairs Committee. They are all hypocrites. Not a single one of them actually believes in freedom of speech. Not a single one of them is actual against, actually against cancel culture. And now we know, for sure. And by the way, what Ilhan said was true. And you know what else was true? When Bill O'Reilly was interviewing Donald Trump when he was president, right before the Super Bowl, and Bill O'Reilly said, yeah, but Putin's a killer. And Trump's response was, we got a lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. What, you think this country's so innocent? That was accurate, too. Now, funny enough, none of the Republicans clutched their pearls and said, Oh, how could you, sir? How could you? This is the best nation in the world. <laughs> none of them said that. Because they're all partisan hacks. That's what they are. So guess what? It's true when Trump says that. It's true when Ilhan says it. It's true when Noam Chomsky says it. What's true is what's true. I don't care about your partisan, you know, um, your partisan breakdown of it. I don't care about your tribalism. I care what's accurate. And so this is the Republicans playing um, the fake offended game. This is them engaging in cancel culture. And so just understand, they never meant it. They never meant it. Like, we're against this as a matter of principle. No, you're not. No, you're not. You never were. And this isn't the only example. There's a million others, like with the Satan shoe from Lil Nas X, where you had Republicans who, like Christy Noem, who portrays herself as the main thing she's against is cancel culture, and she literally calls for him to get canceled during that. Get over it. What she said was right. And shame on the Democrats, who also threw Ilhan under the bus, and sort of shame on Ilhan for releasing another statement and, like, clarifying. I would have released a statement that said, everybody can blow me, I'm factually correct. If you don't believe me, here's a list of the shit I'm talking about, whether it's the crimes of Israel or the crimes of the United States. There was a conservative commentator who once said, facts don't care about your feelings. This would have been a great time to actually list said facts and to say, everybody can shut up. Okay, that's what everybody could do. So anyway, official censure, fuck out of here. How about I'm calling to censure all the people who want to censure her over facts. You like that? Everybody's got to grow a spine. Everybody's got to fight back. Defend that which is true. Seems like it's not too much to ask for, but apparently it is. Okay, next.
All right, here we go, y'all. Let's continue. Still got a lot more to get to because, like I said, we have a record-breaking long show today. So trending on Twitter recently was Macy Gray. Now, I only remember Macy Gray from that one song she had. I think she was a one-hit wonder, but I stand corrected if she's not. I mean, you guys tell me. I I don't know, but I only knew her from that one song. So she was trending on Twitter, and I was like, well, that's weird. And I looked up why she was trending, and it was because she said, hey, maybe it's time for a new American flag. The outrage that ensued was kind of hilarious. So let me show you the title here. She wrote for Market Watch, Opinion, for Juneteenth, America needs a new flag that all of us can honor. For Juneteenth, America needs a new flag that all of us can honor. So Juneteenth is Emancipation Day. And listen, one of, one of the greatest things Biden did was make this an official federal holiday. It should have already been a federal holiday. I mean, emancipation, that's a no-brainer to make that a holiday. It's crazy that it wasn't the case until now. Granted, this is all symbolism stuff and very little hinges on symbolism, but this is a rare example where I'm like, yeah, of course, do it. Give everybody a day off, and it's for a good reason. Juneteenth, that's a great reason to give people a day off. So um, that's when they ran this. Now, I want to read – it's not a long piece, so I'm just going to read you from it here because I want you to get her whole argument and try to understand what the backlash was. So she says, the Confederate battle flag, which was crafted as a symbol of opposition to the abolishment of slavery, is just recently tired. We don't see it much anymore. I think it's supposed to say is just recently retired, but we don't see it much anymore. However, on the 6th, when the stormers rained on the nation's most precious hut, waving old glory, the memo was received. The American flag is its replacement. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. President Biden, Madam Harris, and members of the of Congress, the American flag has been hijacked as code for a specific belief. God bless those believers. They can have it. Like the Confederate, it is tattered, dated, divisive, and incorrect. It no longer represents democracy and freedom. It no longer represents all of us. It's not fair to be forced to honor it. It's time for a new flag. Incorrect? Let's look at the stars. Or, excuse me, let's look to the stars. There are 50 where there should be 52. She says D.C. and Puerto Rico have been lobbying for statehood for decades. They've been denied it, um, but it should be 52, she says. Assuming D.C. representatives uh, would be African-American and Puerto Rican reps would be Hispanic, the ultimate assumption is that these elected officials would be Democratic. That alone is racist, she says. On the stripes, the Smithsonian documents that the white stripes represent onto the stripes. The Smithsonian documents that the white stripes represent purity and innocence. America is great. It is beautiful. Pure. It ain't. It is broken and in pieces. What if the stripes were off-white? What if there were 52 stars to include D.C. and Puerto Rico? What if the stars were the colors of all of us, your skin tone and mine, like the melanin scale? The blue square represents vigilance and perseverance, and the red stripes stand for valor. America is all of those things. So what if those elements on the flag remained? What if the flag looked like this? So that's her new version, new idea of uh, an American flag. She says, in 1959, 17-year-old Bob Heft designed the current flag for a school project when there were only 48 states. Hawaii and Alaska were up for statehood, and Bob had a hunch they'd get the nod. He crafted a new flag with 50 stars for the then future because things had changed. 62 years later in 2021, we we have changed and it's time for a reset, a transformation one that represents all states and all of us. 
So there you have it. That's her argument. And of course, people on the right totally lost it. And the basic argument was like, if you don't like the flag, there's every other country in the world doesn't have this flag. So why don't you go live there? That was the gist of the reaction to her piece. So I've thought about this issue of the flag a lot. Um, and I've gone back and forth on it a few times. My ultimate position is that I really don't care if we keep the old flag or we get a new flag. The idea that it's impossible to change it and we can never change it, that's just factually wrong because the American flag has changed so many times throughout our history. I don't even know the number of times it changed, but it changed over and over and over and over and over again. So the idea that, like, you know, it's written in stone and it's from God or whatever the fuck, metaphorically, that's just silly. It's not true. Um, but I also think that it doesn't just represent the bad. And, but I would also argue it, it does represent the bad and the good. So it doesn't just represent the good, conservatives would say. It doesn't just represent the bad, as Macy Gray is saying here. It represents both. And the idea that, oh, it's just the replacement for the Confederate flag, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think you can criticize the flag without saying it is now equal to the Confederate flag. The whole point of the Confederate flag was like, we are now going to defend Jim Crow and segregation and really we're pro-slavery. And this, whole, this flag, that, the Confederate flag that we all think of when we think of the modern day Confederate flag, the whole point of it, it was brought out during the civil rights movement as an F.U. to the civil rights movement. To say the American flag is that, I don't think that's true. You know, I have American flag shirts that I wear. Am I saying I'm a right winger when I do that? No, in fact, I think there's a decent argument to be made that that like American iconography, the American imagery could easily be used by the left. And Americans could be like, lefty Americans can be like, yeah, actually, what if I say we own this and it's our flag too and it's our country too and it's our movement too. And maybe this does represent or can come to represent things that we're all proud of. So the American flag encapsulates all of our history. So it absolutely includes the Trail of Tears, the Native American genocide, slavery. Um, it absolutely represents Japanese internment. It represents all of the negative things that we've done, bombing innocent civilians in Japan during World War II. But you know what else it represents? Freedom of speech and the Constitution and defeating the Nazis and the New Deal. But it also represents the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. And it represents the, the Patriot Act and NSA spying. But it also represents, you know, the war on poverty. And you, listen, the list goes on and on. We could talk about it all day. My, I, I submit to you that the right-wing idea of the flag is not accurate. Um, of It only represents the good. And the left-wing idea of the flag, or the Macy Gray idea of the flag, of like it only represents the bad, I don't buy either one of those things. It represents both. And, um, but the thing that pissed me off more, Macy Gray's piece actually didn't piss me off. It didn't offend me at all, even though there are parts where I disagree with her. You always see this with the right. They view what she's saying here as unpatriotic, un-American, evil, um, love it or leave it, get out of America if you don't like it. And it's like what the right is doing is, is pretending like loving the flag is the definition of patriotism, loving the bald eagle loving the American imagery, loving the hokey propaganda stuff 
is the definition of American. But I would submit to you, no, America at its best is like understanding worshiping the flag isn't patriotism. Understanding that it represents at its best freedom of speech, for example, the positive part of it. So that's true patriotism. True patriotism is not worshiping a cloth flag. True patriotism is understanding that that represents free speech and somebody can burn it and you'll still defend their right to be an American and be in this country. Somebody can mock it, make fun of it, pee on it, whatever, and it's like, well, that flag in part represents free speech, so you're allowed to do that and we're not going to throw you in prison, which is a degree of freedom that a lot of other places don't have. So I would argue that... um, the right is misinterpreting this more. The right is pretending like if you criticize the flag, you're by definition unpatriotic and bad. And I would say, no, you're allowed to have different views on the flag. You're allowed to think it should be updated. You're allowed to think we should have no flag. There are Americans who think there should be no nation states. Does that make them not American? No, not at all. So um, it was just interesting to me that this represented some sort of backlash. This represented something that went viral on Twitter and was trending when I actually think her argument is relatively mild, you know, she's just saying, Hey, we've updated the flag a million times. Why not update it one more time? If you're offended by that, your offense meter is broken. All right, next. Let's talk about Iran's new Fundamentalist president. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about this guy. So Iran had an election recently. I want to break it down for you and give you all the information you need to know about their new president. Um, So the former president is a guy by the name of Hassan Rouhani. He's a moderate, and he was one of the people who led the charge to get the nuclear agreement with the United States and actually with the international community. So it was under Hassan Rouhani that we got the Iran nuclear agreement. Now, that deal, to sum it up, goes like this. The United States and the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, get to do inspections routinely and check in on the nuclear program of Iran. Iran can have nuclear power, but just to... Uh, do power for their power grid for their people and do research. And there's a big difference between enriching uranium to the point where you can do that and enriching uranium to get a weapon. So anyway, uh, the international community would get to regulate that and make sure they never create a weapon. And And what we would give them is their own money back, and we would lift a lot of the sanctions on them. That was the idea of the deal. It was working flawlessly. It was working perfectly. They were totally in compliance with the deal, and we were following the deal until Trump came in, and, um, of course, we reneged on the deal, and we started sanctioning them. So we violated the deal repeatedly. And then now we're in this weird limbo phase where they're like, okay, I guess we're going to enrich uranium further now. I guess we're going to go to create a nuclear weapon. And um, the international community is holding on to hope to get back in the deal. The U.S., Biden said he would get back in the deal. He hasn't gotten back in the deal yet. So, anyway, that's where we are now. Now, I'm going to come back to everything I just said here. There's a cherry on top response that is going to drive you crazy. Um, but now Hassan Rouhani's out of power. He wasn't able to run again, um, but 
there were other moderate candidates who had potential to maybe do well, but the Revolutionary Guard banned them from running. So you had a couple puppet moderates who nobody really knows who ran, and one of the people they were running against is the guy who had lost to Hassan Rouhani last time, and here's what happened. So the guy who won is a hardliner. His name is Ibrahim Raisi. He's basically as hardline as it gets. And by the way, my, my buddy from Iran broke this all down for me, and I want to thank him for giving me a good education on this. So the Guardian Council disqualified all the other big moderate figures, like I just said. Two very weak ones ran. Nobody knew them or liked them. The big two moderates that people were expecting to run were uh, Larajani, he's former head of parliament, and Jahangiri, that's Rouhani's first vice president, but they were disqualified and they weren't allowed to run. Raisi is the head of the judiciary appointed by the Ayatollah. He ran in 2017 and lost to Rouhani. He didn't get many more votes this time compared to 2017, but the people who would have voted for moderates didn't show up to vote, and it was mostly due to disqualifications, but also moderates lost a lot of support during Rouhani's second term because with the implosion of the nuclear agreement, we're right back to square one, and their economy is really in tatters, and of course they were dealing with a COVID outbreak as well. So in the end, Raisi got 16 million votes back in 2017 when he lost to Rouhani, and this time he got 17.8 million but get this, turnout was only 48% in this election, and last time it was 73%. So the people who voted for, for Rouhani last time, they didn't end up voting for um, Raisi. They just stayed at home because they were dissatisfied with the electoral system or they felt like everything was hopeless. So Raisi is completely against working with the West. He was against doing the nuclear deal in the first place. He's a religious fundamentalist. He was one of the four prosecutors who were involved in the mass execution of political prisoners in 1988. So they, they literally were called the Council of Death. Um, the Revolutionary Guards love him, and they want him to be the next supreme leader after the Grand Ayatollah passes away. But he doesn't have the religious qualifications, or at least not yet. I don't know if he ever will, but he doesn't have the religious qualifications in order to be the supreme leader. Um, so he's known as a guy who isn't corrupt financially and personally. He's not after personal wealth, he, but he is a true believer in the Islamic revolution. And on social issues, he's super conservative. He supports gender segregating universities and government agencies. Schools are already segregated. He didn't run based on this stuff, but he is for harsh Islamic punishment, like cutting limbs and an eye for an eye. Um, he's for massive internet censorship. He's against live music. He believes women should do their family duties before doing any work. Uh, he's just as socially conservative as it gets. On economics, he doesn't really have any plans or policy, but he's against any policies that involve economic links with the West. Again, this is the guy who won. So overall, he's basically a puppet of the Ayatollah. He's aligned with the Ayatollah on most issues, and the Ayatollah is significantly more conservative than Hassan Rouhani was. Again, the president was one of the ones who led the charge in getting us the nuclear agreement. Uh, this is an, interesting, is an interesting fact, too. Ahmadinejad, who was the former president of Iran, he's pretty popular these days, and he ran, but he was disqualified from running, and then he openly boycotted the election, which was kind of hilarious. So he told his supporters not to participate in the election. So that guy who was in power sort of wanted to get back in power, and the Revolutionary Guard was like, eh, you're done. And also... Ahmadinejad is an interesting character because 
he, what he did when he was in office, he actually made um, the office of the president more powerful than it ever was before. You could argue previously it was just more of like a ceremonial thing because the Revolutionary Guard and the Grand Ayatollah are running everything. But then, uh, excuse me, um, Ahmadinejad went in there and he sort, he sort of made the role of president more powerful, which is interesting. So um, now I want to show you something that says it all right here. Take a look at this. The big Iran elections takeaway for me is how many have lost hope that voting brings change. This is the no. This is, excuse me, this is the number of people who voted for reformist and moderate candidates since Katami. Huge drop. So Katami's like the, the more left, the more left, biggest left leader, you can say, in Iran. But you have, look at this, starting from the bottom up. In 1997, 20.1 million voted for moderates. 2001, 21.6 million. 2005, 16.7. 2009, 13.6. 2013, 18.6. 2017, 23.6. 2021, 2.4. Wow. So a huge drop-off, a huge drop-off. There's a few things to say here. Number one, it's basically rigged. The rigging was done by the Revolutionary Guard and the Grand Ayatollah, who disqualified any of the moderate candidates with a chance up front. So big, huge rigging. Okay, that's that's the first point. The second point, though, is this. A lot of this is the making of the United States. Now, I told you I'd go back to the point I made first later on. Well, here's the point. The moderates went out on a limb when they said, let's make a deal with America. Let's do a nuclear agreement with America. Let's have the international community come in here, regulate us, make sure we don't create a weapon, and in return we'll get sanctions relief. And the moderates were arguing, you can make a deal with the United States. They'll honor the agreement. And if they honor the agreement, guess what? We'll have sanctions relief. So our economy will be doing way better than it is right now, being strangled by the international community right now. People will be happier. And um, it'll actually further embolden the government. And it'll make people, you know, happy that things are better. Well, now they look like total idiots, don't they? The moderates look like idiots because the hardliners got to turn to them and say, you guys told us we can make a deal with America and America would uphold the deal. And then we'd get a a flourishing economy and we'd all be better off. Well, we gave you the opportunity to make that deal and we gave America the opportunity to honor that deal. You made the deal. America didn't honor the deal. And now we're worse off. So the hardliners got to look at the moderates and say, you were just made a fool of. America made a fool of you. And of course, they would argue that great Satan, the world's sole imperialist power, just made a fool of you. You made a deal with the devil, and the devil reneged on the deal. What did you learn? So now the hardliners look like they were right all along. And the moderates look silly. And this is the, re- this is the result. This is what happened. And so guess what? Now we're in a position where it's much more likely that Iran will get a nuclear weapon, and it's much more likely we will continue to raise tensions. Because if you were going to get any sort of deal, and it was going to be reasonable, it was going to be with the moderates. The hardliners are against working with the West at all. And honestly, in some ways, you can't blame them. And so now there's not going to be a peace deal. Now tensions are going to continue to rise, with, not only with us and Iran, but with Iran and Israel, Now you're at a permanent war footing and a standoff. 
and there's a breakdown of any sort of communication, there's a breakdown of any sort of negotiation, all of this was avoidable. The world would have been a safer place if we made the deal and we stuck to the deal. Because again, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. The IAEA says, hey, they were following the deal every step of the way. We were the ones who violated it. We're the ones who pulled out of it. We're the ones who sanctioned them, which is a clear violation of the deal. We've also we've sanctioned medicine going into Iran, guys. Medicine. The International Criminal Court said you're not allowed to do that. You know what our response was? To chastise the court and pull out of it and say we're going to keep sanctioning medicine going into Iran. So now the moderates look stupid for wanting to do a deal with the West. And now the hardliners look like they predicted all of it, and now people are more supportive of the hardliners. Again, it's also rigged, and basically the, the Revolutionary Guard and the Grand Ayatollah made it so that the hardliners would win. But still, but still, they probably would have won anyway, even if you allowed the moderates to, to run. They probably would have won anyway, because a lot of the people who put hope in the system, who put hope in the moderates, well, the U.S. ruined the deal, pulled out of the deal, and so now everybody who was on that side looks silly, and now you have hardliners there, and guess what? Hardliners always lead to more hardliners. So Trump was a hardliner, and him being hardline led to their hardliners rising, and if they do more hardline shit, it'll lead to us doing more hardline shit, and around and around we go. So... This all could have been avoided. It all could have been avoided. It all could have worked out. It didn't. And the United States of America needs to understand, this is the shit that ruins our credibility around the world. And it does. Like, that's, it is ruined. Like, it is. That's what it is. Nobody should take our word for it. Also, I mean, look at what we did in Libya. Uh, Gaddafi was like, here, take my weapons because I don't want to get toppled by you. Then we took the weapons and we toppled them anyway. John Bolton said to Kim Jong-un in North Korea, we want to do the Libya model with you. What? That means they want him to give up his weapons and then we'll topple him anyway. The war in Iraq was illegal under international law. We said, we don't care, we're going to do it anyway. The Paris Climate Agreement, we crafted that and then Trump was like, I'm done with it, I'm pulling out of it, we're not going to do that. The Iran deal, detailed deal, immediately we pulled out of it and sanctioned them. So who the fuck would want to listen? Who would want to do any deal with us? Who would want to listen to us? Who would want to cooperate with us? Nobody. Because we flip-flop every day a million times and go back on treaties and ignore international law. There are consequences for that shit. And then you got, you know, the rise of China with the Belt and Road Initiative. We're doing this shit to ourselves. To ourselves, we... We're our own biggest problem, so our word means nothing. Why would anybody trust a deal with the United States, ever, ever? We don't honor them at all. And as a direct result of that, now the hardliner won in Iran. So somebody who's not in favor of peace won, because when we tried peace, we stabbed them in the back and said, fuck peace. So now they're saying, fuck peace too. We have a bunch of idiots and we have a bunch of corrupt goons running our government. And shame on Biden, too. Trump was the one who ruined it and pulled out of it and all that stuff. But shame on Biden for not getting back in that agreement on day fucking one. Day one. 
we violated the deal and we pulled out of the deal. And then Biden has the nerve to say, yeah, maybe we'll get back in, but Iran needs to do X, Y, and Z first. Excuse you? We violated it and we pulled out of it and you're making demands? You should get back in the deal and have a formal apology and say, our bad, that previous guy was crazy, we're going to abide by the deal, you have my word, you have the word of the United States of America, which is good as gold. He didn't say that. It's a sick joke. When you vote in the U.S., you're voting for neocon or neocon light. Neocon or diet neocon. Here we are. Could have had peace. Did have peace for a while until we ruined it, and corporate media will never tell you these facts. Okay. All right, next, guys. Here we go. I got a Trump supporter who you're going to get a kick out of. This story is really something. Let me show you this. So we have a Trump supporter who sued a town in Long Island for $25 million, And he said, they're trying to silence me. So um, that is quite a character there, isn't it? That is quite a character that we're talking about here. Um, let me give you a little bit of this story, then I want to show you what his car looks like and what his house looks like and everything. I'll read you some of the bumper stickers he has on his car. So Michael Wasserman is this guy's name, and he says, quote, I believe the city is trying to silence me because I'm pro-Trump. He's 62 years old. He's an entrepreneur. And, of course, he became a minor celebrity in the area, for better or worse, because he put pro-Trump stuff all over his house, all over his cars. He has a Porsche and a Jeep. And um, he has a rotating variety of political flags and stickers. So it's a $25 million federal lawsuit against the city of Long Beach. And he's also suing the chief of police, the city manager, and specific police officers after they forced him to remove some of the flags on his cars. Now, by the way, I find this particularly hilarious because one of the flags he's flying is the Blue Lives Matter flag. Flying the Blue Lives Matter flag while simultaneously suing the police. Hilarious. So uh, let me give you some of the legal specifics here. The town claimed that violation of an ordinance that states, quote, no sign shall be erected, affixed, or maintained within the perimeter of any public street or public property. And Wasserman parks his car on a public street outside of his home, so they're saying, listen, this is against an ordinance, and it's not because it's political, it's because it's against the ordinance, and so you have to take it down. Uh, He says, quote, they're bending and massaging the ordinance to fit the crime. This is a blatant attempt to silence me. I find that argument a little curious because I'm sure most of the police officers who are sent there to tell him he has to take it down, they might be pro-Trump too. So it doesn't seem like it's politically motivated, or maybe it is. I'll withhold judgment for the time being. Um, The town's lawyer is a guy by the name of Howard M. Miller, and he told the Post, quote, it's not a political case. It's not the content of the message. 
It's where he had it. It's on a public street. Lawyer Victor Ferraru is uh, a liberal Democrat, and he's actually defending this guy. And um, he's taken heat for defending him. And he told the Post, quote, we wouldn't be here if he were flying a Biden flag. This is selective targeting for his political ideology. So um, without further ado, let me show you some of his stuff here. This is the back of his car. So let's read through some of these bumper stickers. You have a Trump thing pissing on a CNN bumper sticker. You have Trump written with an I and an H in there, so it actually spells triumph. You have illegal isn't a race, moron. Um, What else do we have here? This is not a gun-free zone. Armed infidel. Freedom isn't free. Um, My governor is an absolute idiot, and it has a picture of Cuomo there. I don't know what that one below the Cuomo one is. You have Trump pissing on a Biden thing. His license plate literally says, got Trump. And he's got a coexist thing with the NRA, and the coexist is actually with guns. So it's a mocking the left-wing coexist bumper sticker and putting coexist with guns, and it's an NRA sticker. Um, so I'll show you his house, too. Do we have the one of his house? Yes, we do. We have the picture of his house. You see the Trump flag. There's literally a fuck Biden flag and a couple fuck Biden banners. And then you have that pro-police flag that I referenced earlier. So listen, man, this, this actually reminds me. There was another case I saw today. It's in Broward County, Florida. And you have a guy has a, an LGBTQ flag up. And by the way, it's just a little LGBTQ flag on this guy's mailbox. It's actually a couple. It's two older gentlemen who are gay and, and together and, and live with each other. They probably married, although I didn't read the specifics of the story. But either way, on their property, they have mailbox, and they have a little pride flag on their mailbox, and Broward County is telling them, you got to take that down. And they're effectively making the same argument as this guy. They're like, what are you talking about? This is, this is free speech. That's what this is. And so the argument from, um, from, what's his name again? Michael Wasserman. He's like, doesn't matter if you don't like it. It's my car, and it's my house, and I can put whatever I want on it, and that's the end of it. So, listen, my take on it, I mean, I kind of agree, because I think the gay couple should be able to keep their flag up, and the county can't tell them no, and I do think he can keep this stuff up, and the county can't tell them no. I mean, it gets a little questionable, because there's all sorts of ordinances and zoning laws and whatnot. So, like, for example, you can't put, like, a strip club or a weed store right next to a school. Now, can those people argue, hey, this is my right to do it, and it doesn't matter that I'm near the school. This is the property that I bought, and if I want to flag a, fly a flag that says, like, free weed or weed $10 or whatever, I should be able to do it. That's free speech. It gets a little sticky, right? Like, it, you, can, you can regulate the economy, and you can regulate speech in a way while still upholding the right to free speech. So honestly, his best argument I could have seen was like the flag, the flags and the banners that say fuck Biden. You can't having like having curse words prominently displayed in the middle of the day on a public street. And you got kids driving by on their way to school and you see the, the curse words, mommy, what does that mean? Or whatever. Like you can see how the town politics aside would be like, this is just obnoxious and fucking crazy. I remember back when my dad was alive, in his, he owned a laundromat, 
and um, as he got older. And um, he had painted his building like this very bright color, and then the, the town came, and they were like, you're going to have to change that. And he was like, what? I thought I have a right. It's my property. I can do what I want. And they were like, Matt, you know, uh, line A, subsection 123 says the following, and you can't have that there. Now, listen, if you sue and you go all the way to the Supreme Court, is it possible that the Supreme Court says, yeah, it's his property, he can do whatever color he wants, that's fine, it's, he's right and the town is wrong, but w- was my dad going to spend whatever, how much, however much money it cost, 200 grand or whatever, to go all the way to the Supreme Court in order to try to defend that? Of course he wasn't, and so we changed the color. But, like, there are sort of open legal questions, you know? My opinion is I always lean more on the side of free speech than not, but this is one of those sticky cases, and it's not because it's pro-Trump. It's because there's the cursing, and it's also the volume of it. You know what I mean? Like, if he just had a Trump flag, I don't think anybody would care. Or if they cared, they certainly wouldn't call the cops on him. But a lot of people call the cops, and they're saying, this is against the law because it's fucking endless, and it's everywhere, and it's prominently displayed on public property. See, but that's the thing is, that's where I side more with him, because it's not like he's putting the flag up on literal public property. It's not like he, you know, went to an electrical pole and and put a Trump flag up there. Then you could argue that's not okay because that's public property. Public represents all of us, and he's putting a particular viewpoint on the public thing, but it's on his own car. So on that, I I sort of side more with him. But, um, I mean, listen, my judgment on it overall is that people need to have a little bit of common sense, man. Like, Like, don't put the... Don't put the strip club next to the school. Don't put the weed store next to the school. That should be common sense. Don't, don't put up 417 pro-Trump things. Put up two. You know what I'm saying? And I do think that probably most of the police officers who were given the unfortunate task of trying to reel this guy in, I'm pretty sure they were, a lot of them were pro-Trump. And they're like, listen, bro, it's got nothing to do with that. It's, you know, you're, you're scaring everybody in the area and you're flying too much shit, you know? It's almost like this. Is, is it, would it be legal to take your property and drive, and, and excuse me, draw a picture of somebody spreading their ass cheeks on the side of a building? Or people just fucking raw-dogging it on the side of a building with a perfectly clear drawing of it? Would that be legal? Would somebody be able to say, that's free speech? I could do that. It's free speech. Well, now you get into the whole question of, like, again, to bring up the children... Don't they have a right not to see shit like that on their way to school or on their way to get some food with their family? It it seems like it's a stretch of a free speech argument, doesn't it? In the same way that, you know, the weed store next to the school or strip club next to the school. And I do think it it does feel like a little bit of a stretch from him, too. Um, But ultimately, it's on his property, it's on his car, and it's on his house. If I had to rule on this and I'm in the Supreme Court, I'm ruling on his side because I don't see how you can say to him, you can't have that up. But then you say to a gay couple that has up a, a gay pride flag, you can have that up. And, and then, you know, you can make the counter argument in the, in the gay pride example, it was just one flag. So that obviously should be allowed. But in a scenario where it's a gay pride thing and you have like 100 flags, and you have aggressively lefty stuff written there, I still think that should probably be allowed. I still think that should probably be allowed. 
I do think you get to a gray area when he's got the fuck Biden stuff. Because to have the curse word up there, and it just gets a little more sticky in my mind because there are questions of like basic regulation versus authoritarian crackdowns on speech, right? So towns can have ordinances, towns can have certain rules, towns can have zoning laws, you know? And I guess the question is how extreme do you want them to be versus how lax and leaning on the side of freedom do you want them to be? Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think most people would have been reasonable if he only had a, a few Trump flags up. But since he's so over the top, and I think the guy's genuinely unbalanced. I think people were sort of put off by it, and it was overwhelming how many flags and how many bumper stickers. And that's why people were like, this is actually, the other thing is, it probably impacts um, housing prices. That's another thing that the other people are probably annoyed with, is that, it makes it so that you're making everybody's property around you a lot cheaper because who wants to live next to the fucking crazy person, you know? And so that might be another thing that people are considering when talking about this. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's a weird case. It's a weird case, even though he's a psycho. And by the way, his arguments are terrible. Like they have stuff he's saying in there about politics. He was a, he was a Democrat until like 04 or something when he voted for George Bush. And now he's just the most hardcore Kool-Aid drinking Republican ever. The guy's a moron and the guy's a, a complete follower. And so I'm not sympathetic to him at all on that front. But, you know, I just think it gets into some sticky territory if you tell him that you got to take it down. Because where do you stop? You know, I guess you can make the argument in the other direction. Is there anything you could tell people to take down if you can't tell this guy to take it down? You know, so it's also a slippery slope in the other direction. What, are you just going to allow up anything at all times, no matter what, doesn't matter? So I don't know. Obviously, you could tell I'm struggling with the case a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think I do sort of side with him, even though the insistence from the town is this has nothing to do with free speech. It has to do with the ordinance of no sign shall be erected, affixed, or maintained within the perimeter of any public street or public property. You know, so they swear up and down. It's got nothing to do with the content. It's not about politics. It's that anybody putting any sort of sign prominently displayed on a public street, that's what we're against. But again, the guy could argue, it's, but it's my property. This isn't on the public street. It just happens to be on the public street, but it's on my property. So you guys make your own mind up. He's a psycho. He's out of his mind. His arguments are terrible. He's a weirdo. But legally, he might be allowed to do it. You know, and it's uncomfortable, but that's probably true. Okay, next. Guess what, y'all? Trump is feeling it a little bit now. Apparently, Ron DeSantis toppled him in a new poll. At the Western Conservative Summit, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis was ranked above former President Donald Trump in a straw poll asking voters about their preferred candidate for the 2024 presidential race. Here's the kicker, though. The poll conducted by the Western Conservative Summit surveyed attendance of the weekend's 2021 Western Conservative Summit at the Centennial Institute, Colorado Christian University's public policy think tank. The company used an approval method that allowed participants to vote for multiple 
responses for each question, including a question about which 2024 presidential candidates they approved of from the dozens of the top contenders. So that's the kicker right there. Um, the top five candidates in order of most approval to least were Ron DeSantis, 74, Donald Trump, 71, Ted Cruz, 43, Mike Pompeo, 39, and Tim Scott, 36. Former, President, former Vice President Mike Pence came in 10th place. Okay, so let me actually, as I'm talking to you guys live now, I'm going to pull up the other people and where they finished. Now, again, the way they conducted this poll is kind of bullshit because it's not the traditional way they conduct a poll. You can pick multiple people. Um, but it is still kind of noteworthy that DeSantis won, that DeSantis actually edged out President Trump. So let's see if I could find the rest of the um, rest of the stuff here. I want to see the full list. Hmm. No, I can't find it. Fuck. Who was the... Well, let me try to find this another way. Let me try to find this another way. Oh, I found it. Yay. Okay. Let me just start this whole segment over because I want to be able to read you all of the... Okay. Let me try this again. President Trump has been toppled as the big man. Ron DeSantis is now polling ahead of him, at least in one poll for 2024. So let me read this to you. At the Western Conservative Summit, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis was ranked above former President Donald Trump in a straw poll, asking voters about their preferred candidate for the 2024 presidential race. The poll conducted by the Western Conservative Summit surveyed attendance of this weekend's 2021 Western Conservative Summit at the Centennial Institute, Colorado's Chris, Colorado Christian University's public policy think tank. The company used an approval method that allowed participants to vote for multiple responses for each question, including a question about which 2024 presidential candidates they approved of from the dozens of the top contenders. So, let me give you the longer list here. So, number one, Ron DeSantis, 74%. Donald Trump, 71%. Ted Cruz, 42%. Mike Pompeo, 39%. Tim Scott, 35%. Christy Noem, 29 Tom Cotton, 29 Rand Paul, 27 Donald Trump Jr., 24 uh, Mike Pence, 21 Damn, Mike Pence is way further down there than I thought. Josh Hawley, 20%. Dan Crenshaw, 20%. Nikki Haley, 19 Michelle Obama, what? 2% for Michelle Obama, 3%. I don't know if those people are trolling. It's supposed to be a conservative conference, right? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, those are all around 2%. Um, and the list goes on and on. So very, very, very strange poll. And just understand, the way they did it is kind of bullshit. It's a totally different way of doing a poll. It's an approval method poll. So it's not the same as a normal poll. If you did a normal poll, Trump would have dracked them sclounced when it comes to DeSantis. He would, have, he would have destroyed them. He would have wrecked them. But in this kind of poll, DeSantis is number one. Albeit by a slim, tiny, tiny slim amount, but he did win. He did win. So um, 
my guess is, I'm going to make a prediction here. This is going to make Donald Trump, if he sees this, which he probably will, this is going to make Trump sort of turn on DeSantis a little bit. It should be, if Trump was smart, he should think like, no, I'll definitely make this guy like my VP now if I run again in 2024. But it's going to make him do the opposite. It's going to make him feel threatened by DeSantis, and so he's going to sort of turn on DeSantis. That is my prediction. Um, But, yeah, he's gotten the most positive press of any Republican uh, candidate. And he's been called, there's a bunch of people who I've seen refer to him as basically like the smarter version of Trump. So he's also a little bit unorthodox in the sense that he... Um, he's against big tech. He sort of is an anti-monopolist to some extent. Or I should be clear, at least his rhetoric is. Every time a Republican does that rhetoric, they always end up supporting big business. So I don't want to overreach here. He probably is full of shit. He's probably a fake populist, but he does have some of that fake populism in him. And so that might be one of the reasons why he's up there. He also spars with the media all the time. And of course, Republican voters love that shit. They eat it up. Um, and he's one of the leaders of triggering the libs. That's He does it on a regular basis. So let's say Trump doesn't run. Is DeSantis going to be one of the people who really makes a run at it? I want to say yes, but all I can say is maybe, maybe not. Because how many times have we had these conversations where it looked like somebody had promised and then they imploded? So I'll just withhold judgment until we see more from him. But at least as of right now, this is obviously big news for him, and he feels damn I might actually have a shot. Um, But nobody wins with these names, that's for sure. DeSantis, Trump, Cruz, Pompeo, Tim Scott, Christy Noem, Tom Cotton. I mean, that's like a who's who of complete idiots and complete corrupt buffoons. So we're arguing over who's the tallest kid in kindergarten right now. That's what we're doing. All right, next. Let's talk about Biden. I got too much Biden and too much Trump today, but I got to talk about it all. So this story came out about a week ago, but I felt compelled. I have to talk about this because it's just too perfect. Um, Biden had that summit with Putin, and then he gave this press conference, and listen to what he says here. How would it be if the United States, his credibility worldwide, shrinks? Let's get this straight. How would it be if the United States were viewed by the rest of the world as interfering with the elections directly of other countries and everybody knew it? What would it be like if we engaged in activities that he is engaged in? It diminishes the standing of a country that is desperately trying to make sure it maintains its standing as a major world power. And so it's not just what I do, it's what the actions that other countries take, in this case, Russia, that are contrary to international norms, it's the price they pay. Imagine if the U.S. intervened in other countries the way Russia does. Huh. That'd be unbelievable. Not only do we do that, keep it real, 
we do it way, way, way more and way worse. I don't know if you heard, we're the world's sole superpower. We're the imperialist power in the world right now. How can he say such a thing and not be embarrassed as he says it? I genuinely don't know if he's just incredibly ignorant in every respect or he's just stupid. It's either ignorance or stupidity. It's one or the other. But, I mean, for fuck's sake, it doesn't take that. You do a Google search on this. The U.S. involves itself in regime change so much, there's literally a Wikipedia page titled United States Involvement in Regime Change. And listen, you could be forgiven if you thought, oh, after World War II when we became the world's sole superpower, that's when it started. Think again. Literally, like, our entire history, we've been doing this shit. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mexico, Samoa, Panama, Honduras, Cuba, Nicaragua, Mexico, Haiti. Did I say Haiti? Dominican Republic. Fucking Germany, Austria-Hungary, Russia, Japan, Italy. I mean, the, literally, the list goes on and on and on. We, virtually all of Central and South America, we've intervened, tried to overthrow democratically elected governments, put right-wing puppets in there that serve our corporate interests. I mean, this is, that, that was, that's just a Cold War I'm talking about. Never mind every other... I mean, Iran is one of the key ones that comes to mind in, in 1953. Overthrowing Mohammad Mossadegh, the democratically elected leader, and putting in... The Shah as the dictator. Again, the list goes on and on. If we actually tried to go through all of them, this segment would be about an hour and a half or two hours because it is endless. I mean, just fucking recently, the Iraq war, you think that wasn't intervening or meddling in another country? We overthrew a government. We overthrew a government. And then after we overthrew the government, we fired basically everybody that was in the government Then there was a giant civil war, and we killed minimum hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. I mean, we've intervened in every way you can imagine. We've militarily intervened. We've done boots on the ground. We've done drone strikes. We've done done arming rebels on the ground in different places. And the idea, I think what, what he's referring to with Russia is like, they intervened online. There were memes and shit, bro memes. I honestly think that's the case Biden's making. And so we think, we haven't done any memes. We're good. We've just militarily and violently overthrown countries and armed death squads and whatnot. But that's different, bro, because we're doing it for good reasons. Unlike Russia, never for good reasons. Ah, the rest of the world has to laugh at us when they see this shit, man. They have to laugh at us. American exceptionalists, I mean, that, they're in a religion. They really are. Everything we do is good by definition. None of the bad counts. If there is bad, we did it in the name of good, so it's good. And whenever we do X, it doesn't count as X because we say so. So wars of aggression aren't wars of aggression because we meant well and we wanted to defend democracy or something, so shut up. The U.S. lecturing anybody about international law or meddling in elections or regime change is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. And um, anybody who's not completely brainwashed would agree. All right. Next. The Catholic Church has snubbed Joe Biden. 
This is interesting. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops overwhelmingly voted 168 to 55 to draft a document that they hope will prevent President Biden and other Catholic politicians from receiving communion if they advocate for abortion rights. They say Biden is the United States' second Catholic president and the country's most religiously observant leader since Jimmy Carter. By the way, JFK was the other Catholic, uh, per the New York Times. Enforcing the rule to deny communion would be up to individual bishops. Last month, Cardinal Louis Ladaria, the head of the Vatican's Doctrine Office, sent a letter to the conference imploring them to carefully deliberate before making the decision. The cardinal advised that the bishop should seek unanimous approval, adding that it could become a source of discord rather than unity within the episcopate and the larger church in the United States. Quote, that's a private matter. I don't think that's going to happen, Biden told reporters on Friday when asked about the vote. So I guess they needed unanimous. 168 to 55 was the vote. But they are leaving it up to the individual bishops to say, Maybe we'll withhold communion from that. So for people who don't know, communion is a symbolic thing where you take like a little wafer and it's supposed to be the body and blood of Christ and you eat it. Really goofy, really silly. Um, I was raised Catholic, so I happen to know about a lot of this stuff. And um, they're literally saying, hey, leave it up to the bishops. Leave it up to the individual Catholic leaders. If they don't want to give communion to somebody who's pro-abortion, that's fine. They can ban them from communion. Okay, I have a very simple response to that. Churches are tax-exempt in the United States, but they're only tax-exempt because there's this deal where they're, they're apolitical. They stay out of politics, or nominally they're supposed to do that. This is them getting directly involved in politics. Okay, so if you're going to do this, you have to pay taxes. Do you have any idea how much money that would be in taxes for the government? They make a ridiculous amount of money. Tax-free. So if you're going to get directly involved in politics and not uphold your end of the bargain, then okay, we'll tax you. I like them apples. My guess is they flip back like that immediately. I mean, listen, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. You know, you're going to micromanage who's in your club and nitpick based on political ideology. Why stop there? You know, I would argue that when you look at Christianity and, and various branches of Christianity, Jesus was like a hippie. Marxist before hippies and Marxism are a thing. So if you're not a hippie commie, should you be banned from having communion? So if you have right-wing beliefs, should you be banned from getting communion? Hey, Jesus would care for the homeless first and foremost. If anybody has a tough view on homelessness, criminalize it, lock them up, don't help them. If that's your view, should you be banned from communion? If you're pro-war, if you're pro-war, that seems to be against the message of Jesus. Should you be banned from communion? They, they nitpick only the ones that they care about, only the views that they currently care about. And apparently that one is abortion now. But all the other ways, death penalty. By the way, notice they didn't say Joe Biden flipped. He said he was against the death penalty, now he's for it. So you can't have communion because you're in favor of the death penalty now. That's very un-Jesus-like. They didn't say that. It's only over that one specific issue. If you want to nitpick and you want to be exclusionary, okay, go ahead. But you're not going to get a tax break. You're not going to be tax-free. Sorry, that's definitely the way it should work. But listen, on the other hand, I should be thanking these people. Because you want to start nitpicking people's politics and exclude them from your shitty club, then your shitty club is eventually going to fold. The younger generation is already less religious, and they should be. And you're giving them more reason to be less religious. We're going to kick you out of our terrible club because of you think X, Y, and Z. Okay, bitch, see ya. Go ahead. Become more and more irrelevant as time goes by. And funny enough, I think that's what um, 
this pope knows that previous ones didn't. So you have to sort of keep up with the times to one extent or another, or else you become irrelevant. So he's trying to, like, walk that line between still being somewhat conservative but also being more open-minded. But clearly, the rest of them didn't get the message. So here we are. They want to ex- exclude the second Catholic president from even getting communion because he disagrees with them on some issues. And by the way, just so you know, the Catholic Church, I saw a great poll on this a few years ago. It's almost exactly 50-50. Like half of the people in the Catholic Church are Democrats, half of the people are Republicans. So you want to piss off half your fucking people? By all means, people will be running for the doors as quickly as possible. All right, y'all, final story of the day. Here we go. Jordan Sheridan is um, on the streets talking to homeless people. We have the eviction moratorium is going to run out soon, which means we're going to have a giant eviction crisis, giant foreclosure crisis, rents are surging, BlackRock and Wall Street are buying up all the fucking homes and making it so it's out of reach for regular people. So he's talking to people on the streets and getting their stories. This is a great example here. It's going to break your heart. Here he is talking to a former construction worker who's now been homeless for over a year. So tell me about, like, you people here. A lot of people think homeless or houseless and think uh, these are all drug users and bums or whatever. But the truth is it's a lot of normal people. I mean, they're all normal, but there's a lot of working-class people that just got priced out of living in Philadelphia or fell on hard times, lost their job, and they can't afford the prices here. Uh, what was your story, if you're comfortable talking about it? And are there other people that fall into that category here? Well, my, I, used to, I used to do construction, and everybody knew construction had stopped once the pandemic started. I wasn't able to pay my bills, nothing. So everybody that was living in the building was already getting evicted because of the COVID. So... Everybody came on the streets. I was already, I became homeless. Everybody out here don't do drugs. And that's what people think. Everybody out here is doing drugs and robbers, stealing thieves and all that. No, everybody is different. You got some people who do use drugs. And you got people who started to use drugs during the pandemic to cope. So when they come in and see us, they think everybody's drug users. That's discrimination to me because everybody is not the same. Even though if people are the same, we are the same as humans as everybody else, so we shouldn't be treated no differently. And I, I was working on construction. I had it good. Once the pandemic hit, I couldn't do nothing. Work stopped, and I couldn't do pay bills. I was struggling to feed myself, so I got on the streets, and I started living in the park, and the park been my home since. It's crazy. It's really ironic because... President Biden's slogan during his campaign was build back better. And here you have somebody that was building for a living construction. And through no fault of on, no fault of your own, you're sleeping in a park under trains. So it's just crazy to me that it's, there's this notion in America where we're building back better, restoring the soul of the country, he said, but $400 million, who knows where it went, and people working for a living, uh, white people, uh, African-American people are left to sleep in the park, and the relief, the temporary relief, isn't going to you, and it doesn't seem there's any permanent relief coming either. No, ain't no permanent relief, ain't no temporary relief. But Biden say build it, build it back up. What is getting built back up? We're not getting built back up. He's getting built back up. 
because he's able to pocket some of the money that's coming in. But you also know you need to be able to fill out job applications and put a residence. My residence is a park. Somebody, my thing is, what people say, you think somebody's going to hire somebody that's living on the street? If I had housing, I'd have been had a job. But I don't have nothing. Also, the fact that you guys were forced, being out here in the winter, body, you know, to basically bundle on top of each other, you were forced to do that during uh, a pandemic where you're supposed to stay apart from each other. So not that you did anything wrong. I mean, you want to stay warm, but you were, you were basically forced to risk your health to survive, which is kind of a contradiction. Yeah, and that's, what, that's my thing. They were telling us to stay six feet apart. But if we got to be out here bundled up, how can we risk not spreading, spreading COVID? And that's what we got to do to survive. That's, even though we was taking the risk, as you said, for us, we didn't see it as no risk. We seen it as staying warm during the cold. That breaks my heart in a million ways. So at one point he talks about, listen, they're allocating money for homelessness in all these different places, but we're not seeing any of the money. None of us are seeing any of the money. You know, where's the money? And I've told you guys about studies where it actually saves money in the long run to give homeless people a roof over their head. They don't have to go nuts, but if you give everybody one of those, like, mini houses, I mean, that would be the money actually being put to practical use. Where is the money going? You know, the system is totally broken. We actually could address this problem and fix this problem if we cared enough to do it. But it seems like there's, you know, the money's being squandered and wasted and maybe even worse than that. So he's saying, I bet the politicians are pocketing that shit, or whoever's involved at the various levels of the bureaucracy are pocketing that. Maybe he's right, you know? Maybe he's right. This problem could be solved if people cared enough and structured um, a response that was effective. And there are ways to do that. Um, So he went on to say, you didn't see this there, but he went on to say he couldn't afford to go to his mom's funeral. Oh, Oh, that's heartbreaking. He also says he cries every night. He, goes, he explains how everybody doesn't do drugs there. Everybody isn't mentally ill there. Some are mentally ill. Some do drugs, but not everybody's like that. People are just falling on hard times, man, with a pandemic and a depression. And um, the part that probably landed with me the most was when he said he can't get a job because he's applied for a number of jobs, but they ask for a place of residence when you apply. And if you write that you live in the fucking park or if you write that you live in a homeless shelter, they don't want to hire you. So, you know, it's a conundrum. It's a paradox. You're at the bottom. You're trying to get up, but you're caught at the bottom permanently because of all these things in the system that are biased against you. So if you don't have a residence, you can't get a job. And they, none of them have residences. By definition, they're homeless. So when you try to better yourself, it doesn't work. Nah, man, broken system. This guy was a construction worker. He's a construction worker. If the system is letting people like him slip through the cracks, how really good is the fucking system? It's not too good, is it? Everybody deserves a roof over their head. We can eliminate homelessness and save money in the process. Let's do that. Let's also do UBI for people so they can actually afford to live even when they hit hard times. Stuff isn't rocket science, but you actually have to have a government that isn't massively corrupt. And unfortunately... 
we do have a corrupt government. So here we are. By the way, everybody check out uh, Jordan Chariton's video. He interviewed a number of homeless people. So you can check it out. His YouTube channel is Status Coup. I'll leave the link in the video description box. He's also been obliterated by the algorithm just like we have on this channel. But I was fortunate because our channel is already big enough where they couldn't hurt me too much. You know, His channel, unfortunately, wasn't big enough yet. So when he gets screwed by the algorithm, he really gets screwed by the algorithm. But he does some great reporting. He's always all over the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Link in the video description box. You can see him talk to um, other homeless people or watch the rest of this interview. He's doing a lot of great on-the-ground reporting. All right, guys, I'm done, baby. I love y'all, and I will talk to you soon. Everybody have a great rest of the day. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.